This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You are your greatest asset. It's time you started investing in that. Visit betterhelp.com allies and take care of you. Hello and welcome to the Easy Allies podcast. I'm Daniel Bloodworth. I'm going to be moderating today. Brandon Jones is out. I am joined by Michael Damiani. How's it going? Ben Moore. Ooh, what you say? <laughs> uh, and in the booth, making everything happen, Isla Hink. But it always went well. Well, of course it did. Ooh. You know that? Have you seen that Elston L skit? Uh, yeah, King, it's yeah, so good. It's, the best. Ooh, what you, ooh, what you, ooh, what you, ooh, what you say? Uh, before uh, we get to all the headlines this week, uh, Island, F Island. Okay, Isla, can you correct us, please? <laughs> Poop. I'm an island. You're kind of on an island back there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The name means island, so. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Earthbound is on the Wii U and the new 3DS virtual console. It never came to the original Wii virtual console. Um, That's a someone corrected you. Yeah. So I think you. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I played through it on Wii U, but I also played like all of my Wii Virtual Console on the Wii U. So yeah. it just like it all blurs together. No, I think if you successfully correct blood, that's like double points. <laughs> yeah. uh, also, I didn't realize. I'd ha- I want to look at this up. The digital version on the Wii U also includes uh, like the guide. That, like you can look at on the screen separately while you're playing. Digital the game. version really of cool. what? I, I have Earthbound. the digital version of Earthbound. Oh, I didn't realize that. I know they have a thing for like looking at the manuals you can do. Yeah. That's interesting. It came with the guide as well because that guide is like highly sought yeah, after. Yeah, I remember they yeah. put it on. Um, Didn't they got to have scratch and sniff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like a newspaper, isn't it? Like presented. No, it's it, it's or? like a normal guide. It's like a big guide, but the, oh, isn't there like a section that's presented like it's like a daily newspaper or something? I thought. Like has like some there really might cool be color art in there, there, but yeah. I think it's still like glossy pages yeah. and everything. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has been on sale on the Nintendo eShop multiple times. No, yeah. in fact, as the person was typing, it was currently 33 percent off. Uh, multiple people, uh, multiple people came up with games that had DLC long after the fact, similar to Mario Kart 8. Uh, Borderlands 2 was one of them. Nice. Uh, yeah. You know, right before Borderlands 3 came out, they had a DLC. Yep. And uh, Kingdoms of Amalur. <laughs> Jeez. The uh, the remaster had DLC. Well, <laughs> like that, almost 10 years later. That is kind of, a, I would actually argue that's a slightly different thing because if you sure. release a new version of the game and then add DLC, it'd be one thing if they were adding it to the original version of the game, but yeah. it, that one's kind of weird. Super Mario Party also took like almost two years to add its stuff. Right. So I mean, yeah, it's not unheard of. I guess people to stop. People are going to move on from Mario Kart Eight, and they're not. And then correction to last week's correction. Oh, Michael Keaton and Michael Rooker are both in Black Ops Two, uh, but the question was asked specifically uh, in the, when the original <laughs> problem Black happened, Ops Two I didn't that. Uh, was specifically about the character Jason Hudson, which mm-hmm. was Michael Keaton. Michael Rooker played a different character called Mike Harper. My, I just want to so say, nice. Michael Keaton is one of my favorite people in the world. He's I, great. I just <laughs> find him naturally enchanting. Isla, end corrections music, please. Boop. All right, so we've been on this crazy murder mystery scavenger hunt, mm-hmm. looking at the evidence, putting all the pieces together. 
the patrons that have been helping. Sebastian Castellanos has been uh, our detective. And uh, we, we've got things laid out. We're getting pretty close. I don't know how, like, how much more we need to work out, but we're, we're getting into the, the hot zone here. Uh, so, to catch you up, uh, <laughs> what we know is Lanky Kong's body was discovered in the slums of Sector 5 of Midgar. We believe the murder actually took place on Rainbow Road. (laughs) And a blitz ball was involved. Yes. Uh, So now we're narrowing down suspects. And who do we think killed Lanky Kong? So we've got Travis Touchdown, We Fit Trainer, Oh my gosh. Ezio Auditore. Too obvious. Johnny Silverhand, Mario, Master Chief, or Mugman. There's a lot of suspects. You know, just when we say. look at like all of the factors, we look at the, we got the Blitzball, we got the Rainbow Road. You know, we've got in my mind, Lanky Kong. Who's gonna be Travis Touchdown is the most entertaining because the because the the way the No More Heroes games are framed is he's climbing up the assassin ranks, mm. and so like so to Lanky have threatened him. Yeah, so yeah. like to have Lanky be like a threatening assassin and to like go and face off, and then Travis like gains rank by defeating him is very funny to me. Um, Makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, Lanky is a third rate character who trying to you know perfect cover. For being an assassin mm. too, so like Travis would have sniffed that out, I think. So how into sports is Travis though? Well, I don't know about sports, but adding up the clues within the, the logic of No More Heroes, it kind of fits because the murder you said took place on Rainbow Road with a with a blitz ball. Yeah. So obviously, it was used as an item to knock him off his cart, and he fell off Rainbow Road, and he fell into the slums of yeah. Sector 5. Yeah, and that, yeah, I don't know if you if you caught that bit of lore, Ben, but that's the implication that Rainbow Road is actually above Midgar. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it is, this kind of fits. I mean... there, I believe there are multiple bosses where uh, that are sports-themed in No More Heroes. Oh, well, so. yeah. There you go. Yeah, I think it's it's getting down there. We'll see what uh, what evidence Brandon needs yeah. next week. And if you guys have any other suggestions, by all means. But. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the news. Uh, so first big headline, which I've had a lot of thoughts on all over the place, uh, and a lot of people have been talking about this week, is uh, Nintendo put out their very kind of you know formal matter-of-fact announcement that the, the Wii U and the 3DS eShop is nearing the end of its life. Yeah. Uh, and so what that means is that uh, about a year from now, in March 2023, purchases will be disabled. Uh, but before that, uh, in May, on May 23rd of this year, uh, you won't be able to add funds via credit card. Uh, as of August 29th, you will no longer be able to add funds via uh, gift card uh, and then there's this other weird thing, which I haven't really done before, but I guess there's still a way to connect like your Nintendo network ID wallet to your current Nintendo wallet and transfer funds or share funds that oh, way. Oh, okay. So there's like a workaround to those things. Um, but uh, yeah, but as of March 2023, you won't actually be able to buy any games, uh, but games will be re-downloadable for the foreseeable future. And that's a long foreseeable future because I, I tested today to see... Uh, whether I could still get stuff from the original Wii Shop, yeah. which shut down the same way in, in 2019. And yeah, I was able to download Arrow the Acrobat just fine. 
so, but yeah, there's a lot of questions back and forth. In terms what an interesting of, choice for a redownload. Yeah, well, it it, it, it sorts everything alphabetically. Sure. So you pick, when you have hundreds of games, you just yeah. pick something in the A's. <laughs> that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think first thing that comes to mind is people, regardless of you know Nintendo's timing for this, it seems to fall in line with what they've done before. Is just how long after? Because if you make all these purchases, even if people rush to go buy these, how long will they keep the servers up to re-download these games? And you doing that kind of digging into the the Wii closure and how it's now like three years later almost, and it's still allowing you to re-download. I think that's what people like kind of worry about when it comes to their digital purpose uh, purchases. Sorry, and ensuring that they the longevity of that. This is like to me, this is sad news, but like it's not completely unexpected. Right, um, and it, I feel like they're giving a good amount of time. To, to just process everything and give people enough heads up and like giving those phases for it. In fact, they even uh, what was the big one people were worried about was uh, the Pokemon uh, Pokemon Bank, oh, sure, which yeah. the Pokemon company announced will be going free afterwards as well. And but again, the question is, well, how long will they keep supporting these things after? So right. I, I think that's the, the the question people want answered the most. Yeah, it's really difficult because like when you actually look into it, and I saw somebody, uh, I, I picked up a random tweet <laughs> last night where somebody that worked in IT kind of like talked through, you know, they don't know anything about Nintendo situation, but just, you know, keeping servers around that old and uh, point of sale services and payment processing services, like it is a problem. Like it's something that you can't just like keep running forever because it all gets outdated, but newer stuff isn't compatible with the old systems. It's such a good point. I think I read that thread too, but basically it was like, it's not the cost of keeping up the servers cost a lot. It's more about like the manpower that you have to have staff that have to be knowledgeable about these older, as you said, older systems that eventually aren't going to be the primary systems. And they also added on the, the, uh, like customer service will still have to be trained to how to deal with these older types of problems. And it just eventually doesn't become worth it for them to have to focus on that anymore. It's just like, let's just cut it loose and, and focus on the new stuff. So um, I, I, under, I understand that part of it. It's not as simple as just like, oh, just keep the servers up. But at the same time, it still feels, you know, as I said, it's a little like, you know, sad. It's an end of an era. And it, like, to me, it's like, man, the Wii, the Wii U and 3DS weren't that long. Oh, wait. Yeah. Like <laughs> 2011 was, you know, now 11 years ago. I was like, yeah. crap. That's like, that's, that's been a long time, hasn't it? I, I think that that is completely understandable um, that these, these things, these services cannot go on in perpetuity as if for the exactly the reasons that you said. I think what is frustrating and disappointing from a consumer perspective is the lack of fluidity between consoles. Yes. Right. Because if you, even if you just take it uh, like the new 3DS, for example, and you compare it to the Switch, which in terms of, of coming out are relatively close to each other, I bought a lot of Super Nintendo and Game Boy games and those sorts of things. So I'm not even saying specifically 3DS games. I'm talking about older games that could... Mm-hmm. be easily emulated on the Switch, and in some cases are, but rather than honoring those purchases that I've already made, they're using that as leverage, as an incentive to sign up for Nintendo Switch Online. And of course, that's not the only thing that they're offering with Nintendo Switch Online, but it is one of the things. And it it's not just a Nintendo issue. I, I just feel like the way... Video game releases are now a lot of it is is just keep buying the same games every console generation, and 
you know, on one hand, of course, you that they, they do that because people are willing to make that step again, or it's not that that much of a cost. I just I wish there was more of acknowledgement for purchases that you've already made. I think the Wii U had a smart step where if you had already bought a game on the Wii right. on the virtual console, when you got it on the Wii U, they're like, we're going to reduce that price down to a dollar. And I think that that mindset was a step in the right direction, but clearly like, like they don't, they don't need to do that. And so they're not going to, I'm sure they have the, the data to back that up, but that kind of acknowledgement I think is super appreciated. Yeah. I agree with everything you said there. That is one of their biggest problems. And I know you said it's not, specific to Nintendo, but they've definitely been very guilty of it. Um, and they rightfully have been called out a lot for it. And it's not just – and it's specifically the virtual console and the legacy stuff because uh, initially in their, their kind of like the, the information they're putting out there, they said that like they had no plans to make available any of this like legacy stuff on like newer systems like the Switch. And for me, it's not just about the – virtual console stuff as well there's so many people so many content creators people on twitter that are going to great lengths to put out these comprehensive lists oh, sorry list of games that are exclusive and potentially only digital exclusive right. to either 3ds or wii u because if you do not get them by these deadlines you will be locked out of those games unless you resort to piracy which is you know the whole other can of worms right. but if you want to keep your stuff legitimate you unfortunately will be locked out of that and then that's one of the fears that people have about all digital future is that games will no longer be available if you didn't purchase them and even if you did when these servers might go offline just for redownloading is that it like what if your system breaks down and you can't get it repaired you no longer right. legally have access to a game you purchased to never mind the last thing i want to say is that this is also going to drive up the cost of physical copies of mm. these games as well like yeah. there's going to be a rush on a lot of these titles um the other thing that i think is really interesting is i remember the announcement of the Wii Virtual Console and the collective excitement that people had because it, at, at the time it was a new frontier for Nintendo of we're going to allow you to experience these games. Some of the, like many of the games on Virtual Console were very difficult or, you know, practically impossible to get your hands on um, and and how awesome that was. But nowadays, like, if, if Nintendo is like, um, we've released Super Mario Bros. 3 again, I don't I don't care because I don't even know how many ways I have right. of, of playing Super Mario Bros. 3. And so I think like as these console generations go on, things that were originally exciting to me, they've just – they've done so many times that the value isn't there for the same way uh, anymore. Right. Yeah, I remember when Sin and Punishment came out on the virtual console. It was just – amazing yeah because here it was this import only n64 game that was coming out you know and then they and they had all kinds of crazy stuff like that you know like it it was insane like when you go back and you look at all the things that they released on virtual console and you compare it to what we have on switch and it's just like the switch is just such a small subset it's it's and and i think it's because partly because of the subscription model yeah like, it just feels like one way or another, they just weren't able to get third parties to really, like, buy in. And so instead, we're getting things like the Pixel remasters or all these mana remakes and they, they that kind of thing. Yeah. They don't, that's the thing, though, is they don't even need third parties to buy in. Like, I think the the subscription... I think Nintendo Online, with its NES library, with its Super Nintendo library, could be really cool. But there's... 
I feel like there's a ton of first party games that or at like like N64 is is a perfect example right. where I just I feel like they just drip feed these releases so much that you just kind of tune it out, you know? Like I I I think the method that they're doing where it's like you're paying us monthly if I'm going to pay you every month and a big reason I'm paying you every month is because I want access to these things, give me a gigantic library. Like, why is anything off limits? I just I just don't understand, especially when the Wii U virtual console and the Wii virtual console were, you know, pretty expansive for what they were. Yeah, that's the thing is, you know, like that was one of my first tasks given to me at game trailers. Yeah. It's like <laughs> every Monday morning, uh-huh. come in. Download the virtual console games, play them for like 10 minutes just because, again, like at that point, there wasn't footage of so many of these games out there for people to check out. And yeah, it's every week they they had stuff. And now with the Nintendo Switch Online, it's, you know, we're getting one N64 game a month and what's happened to the NES and Super NES. What were Genesis going to get any more games? Right. Like yeah. at all? <laughs> yeah, I actually I, – because I, I was checking in after the Nintendo Direct on all of the like different apps for each console. And I – on all of them that I clicked on, they were all updated. But then when I clicked on the Genesis one, I was like, oh, there's, there's no – they haven't added any more games. Um, and yeah, it's – it's frustrating because for all of this hemming and hawing that you can do about their release and, and how they're doing things, I, I also think Nintendo holds all, all of the power because while I do think they could handle things much better than they are, and I really believe that, they just don't have to. And I feel like the, the numbers bear that out where the games that, that they do have hold so much power that they can release them in pretty ridiculous ways, as the 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 Super Mario 3D collection recently showed, right, right. right? Like, it it just doesn't it just doesn't matter. Like, people are just going to buy it anyway. And even if you complain about it on the internet, I, I don't know that it really has a, a sizable impact. Yeah, I mean, they even take it a step further. You I mean you mentioned the Mario collection, the, the whole kind of like gatekeeping thing they do now with like time gating stuff like putting right. it into the vault essentially the Nintendo vault that that and the Fire Emblem got you know vaulted at the <laughs> spring of last year and in that March. wasn't a great and, emulation either it yeah. had weird audio bugs and, and stuff. Super Mario 35 a great addition to Nintendo Switch Online service just like removed and is just a game that's gone forever now <laughs> it's like you can't get any like probably yeah. yeah if they don't bring it back and that's kind of like the thing is like you, they don't even like maintain a consistency. Like I would have been fine if the the you're we talking about earlier about the issue of like uh, like the purchases maybe not carrying over if their solution was okay we're gonna go to subscription model with an account wide and that's gonna carry over with you as long as you pay a monthly fee your collection of games will continue with you as each new system comes out. But like they don't even guarantee that. It's like who's to say in a few years when a Switch successor comes out that oh it's gonna be a new Switch Online service Switch Two and like none of your things carry over even like like your save data for like those virtual console or for the SNES or NES games that wouldn't even carry over like simple stuff like that they just don't have as you said like the continuity between stuff doesn't seem to be what they, they I, care about so much they I care. do think that there is going to be more of that going forward but it's like one of these things, like you're saying until we have a switch to we don't really know yeah. but like when they talk in their financial statements you know the past few years they brought up like the Nintendo account as being kind of like part of their pillars, their strategy. 
you know, so it's like getting people to have Nintendo accounts. And then one of the other things that happened this week, right after that, is they opened like an actual physical shop. Yeah. Uh, on the website, which like you very rarely have been able to buy like games directly from Nintendo before or Amiibo directly from Nintendo before. Uh, and they have some other like sh- exclusive shirts and that kind of thing. But that goes through your Nintendo account as well. So at the same time, past Nintendo online accounts also tracked all your purchases and they that, didn't do anything a, with it. So that's the hard. thing, Blood. I, I feel like the account thing is, is one thing. It, yeah. it, they, wanted, they wanted to unify to have a singular thing to be, make it easier for their tracking and marketing purposes. But when it comes to services, though, I'm not so convinced yet that services right. will carry over on your account it would seem like the wise thing and the like the the, the, the the smart thing to do if they made a direct switch successor to just carry over those services one-to-one because people would be familiar you don't want to like rock the boat too much but i mean it's nintendo when have they ever really done what's <laughs> expected of you know? yeah nintendo <laughs> is the most fascinating video game company because what was it today? It was announced that that Crunchyroll is coming to Switch <laughs> yeah. now. So it's the second video service on Switch in addition to Hulu. The Switch has been out since 2017. It's just getting the se- like randomly now at this period of time. Right. Like there's so many things like with with the, the app stuff and then with the, the virtual console stuff. It just feels so haphazard, but it doesn't. Matter because that Mario Kart 8 DLC is going to sell so much, so much. It, yeah, it, they could do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things uh, that was, you know, very similar to this was last year, Sony had, you know, again, the sa- same kind of issue with the PS3 and PSP and Vita. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people were pushed back enough to where they decided to, okay, we're going to keep this going. For who knows how long, but the way that they did that is uh, like a couple months later they announced that like they were still closing down credit card sales, uh, but you could load via gift card. You could yeah. buy a gift card and then do that. So that way they could Be- kind of keep things from worrying about security updates and all of that. That's a good thing too. Also, like probably vendor charges and stuff because they don't have these outside parties that, anymore. Yeah. It's their own in, their own system that they're doing. So maybe Nintendo could do that as well. This uh, some things that would make me feel a little bit more comfortable about this process would be because we've seen Wii and Wii U games get ports to Switch, and like that's one thing we said. Like Nintendo's like some more about like like updating their games and re-releasing them, mm-hmm. but one thing that really hasn't seen that yet is DS and 3DS games right. being brought to Switch because that's of their nature. Really, another like more difficult thing. Yeah, it's a yeah. hurdle, and I'm kind of worried about is like 3DS is like finally phased out, everything is shut off, and it's like kind of like left behind. What happens to those DS and 3DS games if you really want to get into them? Like, is Nintendo going to be able to figure out a way to, you know, make an emulation service on like that's part of your like Nintendo Switch account and figure out a way to make it work? You know, maybe it's they're waiting on the successor for that. But even like, we still don't have like even Game Boy games as well or Game Boy Advance games. There's so much of their collection, as you said, like they have so many first party things they're just not putting on there. But specifically, I worry about the DS and 3DS stuff. Like, there's so many amazing games on there and. They got to figure out a way to like bring those back, and however they can. To to add on to that, uh, you're absolutely right that the 3ds and DS have absolutely incredible libraries, but there are things that existed in that area of games that were specifically tailored a to that platform and b 
have not seen any sort of evolution or successor. So, like, Etrian Odyssey is a great example. Mm. There are tons of Etrian Odyssey games on DS and 3DS, but now that those systems don't exist, that series has not continued on. There is no Etrian Odyssey uh, outside of that. And so that that lack of moving those platforms forward, as you were saying, is, is, is frustrating because it's like if, if you're attached yeah. to that series and want to go back to that series, you have to have that hardware. And maybe they just take the thought of an idea. Maybe they just turn the, they turn the switch sideways, like vertical, and just emulate it. Because it's still a touch screen. It would still technically work, you know? Yeah. Divide the screen in half. Still but some things you couldn't do, like flipping the thing closed for games that did those Well, uh, they did solve that with a, with a Phantom Hourglass on Wii U. Because it's oh. on there, and you can't close your gamepad. You just, like, I think you just hit a button that simulates it closing the shell or whatever. And it, like, does that. Because you have to, like, oh, press okay. something so at one point. So they, the closing, they, they yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they found ways to do that. And we've seen them with reworks. Like, if they can rework Skyward Sword motion controls into a... A controller game right. uh, with con- full controller support, I feel like they could solve a lot of these issues potentially. I, kn- I know there's some limitations because like, there's no camera on the Switch so like they-, they don't have that functionality anymore whereas the 3DS had that so maybe some things might have to be sacrificed but I'd almost take a slightly compromised version that lost a feature as long as it wasn't essential to the core gameplay, like an extra, like in the Wind Waker when we lost lost the Tingle Tuner in mm-hmm. HD. I'm fine with that to keep the core experience preserved for future generations. Yeah, I do think there's a disconnect between what the developers are able to do on a on a on a certain scale versus like what consumers want. Because I think it is absolutely understandable that Consumers have invested in certain platforms or are really attached to all the different series. But from a resource management standpoint, like, I'm sure if they were to take any individual game on the DS or 3DS and really put their brains to it, they could adapt it to the Switch. But that is going to take, you know effort and quality assurance and, and all of that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, and so, months per game, yeah. Yeah, so when you're like, okay, let's just bring everything to the Switch – that that is a difficult process. I I would love for it to be done, but I also recognize the mountain that they have to climb. Whereas, like you mentioned, Skyward Sword, and that's an interesting thing to bring up. But probably from their perspective, it's like, okay, it's Zelda. We know it's going to sell. We know that this effort is going to be worth it. It's almost like maybe they should just create an internal team dedicated to doing these right. types of projects. Mm. But that leads into on. one of the yeah. other points I had is that, you know, Xbox had that team, you know, has well, probably still there, but, you know, like the backwards compatibility team, mm-hmm. you know, and they've spent years from the Xbox One getting all these games from the original Xbox and the 360 to, to run in backwards compatibility mode, basically emulating a 360, <laughs> and then doing all that work again when the Series X launched. You know, and then again, like was it last year? They basically announced that we're done. Yeah, there's nothing else that we can do. With either the rest of those libraries, either from a technical perspective or a legal perspective, mm-hmm. we can't do anything else really. Yeah, uh, and that's one of the weird things that has to kind of work out. And I'm I'm curious whether they are working that out on the Xbox side for the future mm-hmm. after Series X, uh, because that's one of the problems too. Is that like all of that stuff costs money just to like license the game to be used on a new platform uh, because of, I don't know, just how like all that stuff is worked out. It's like it's a per-platform legal framework, whereas, you know, the PC, like 
nobody you're not licensing it to play on an nvidia card or one card versus another or one that's... version of windows versus another so all that stuff like continues to be sold uh for the most part you know sometimes other people have to pick up the ball like gog or something but that... but with the console it's like Everything in those contracts is like limited to that specific machine and nothing after it. And so their hands are tied in so many different ways for anything that's not their own games. What, what you're saying is a big reason, I think, why I value PC so much. Because I've, had, I've been an active Steam user for like, like what? Almost twenty years. Like it's been. I don't. I don't know how long it's been. It's been a very long time. Mm-hmm. And as time goes on, you know, I get new PCs. My Steam library is is. You know, I, I, there there are exceptions to this, of course. But for the most part, my Steam library is still there. It, it just gets bigger and it just follows me where I go. And so, like, I I, I feel like because of that longevity. I feel more inclined to invest in that platform because I'm not going to run into situations where it's like, oh, I can't play this on this platform because they didn't license it or there's some weird technical thing. Like, obviously, there are issues with older PC games yeah. sometimes. Sometimes it's seems you really yes, have it's, to work. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not perfect, but I would argue that for the most part, the situation isn't as restricted as it is on console. Yeah, I mean, even if a like a publisher goes under, like that doesn't take the game out of your Steam library. Like, I don't know how that ends up working, but yeah, that stuff all stays on the servers and available if you've already purchased a game. I'm not sure what happens with the storefront on Steam in those cases, but a lot of times somebody else will pick it up. You know, like all well, the people that picked up THQ properties. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right, Ben. It's a good peace of mind. Like, you don't really even really question it. The only mm-hmm. thing I ever, ever pay attention to is, like, whenever something with DRM comes up. And yeah. usually, the, like, my uh, my mindset now is, like, give it a few months, it'll go away. Like, they always mm-hmm. back off of that stuff anyway. So it's, like, yeah. just get the game a few months later. Oh, and, and then the Nintendo DRM, though, is really crazy because it's, oh, like, gosh. tied to the system ID of the specific console that you have. Oh, did you? So th- I went through the that. The bit thread about. I didn't, I didn't see that thread. But I had oh. an issue where uh, I sent my Wii U's in to get repaired uh-huh. um, after I had downloaded all the, the Wii Virtual Console games. And I had to download them all over again because the ID for those games didn't match to the systems after they repaired them. It's it's very interesting because in that th- it's kind of related in the thread they were saying it's no longer possible to print new Wii U or 3DS games. Right. So stop you can't approach them anymore if you're a publisher and like oh uh, I don't a digital only game let me get it pressed real quick because at a system level it requires unique authentication even for a disc because it has to be in Nintendo controls that access on their side mm. so how it's authenticated so. You can't just make <laughs> your own games, whereas older systems, that is possible. That's why they can still do physical prints for older games when they do a special edition for, oh, we're re-releasing this game. We're going to do something with them as a special event. That's just kind of like an added level of security now that new systems have. That's a unfortunate like reality that you have to deal with. That, like Eventually... You know, physical games are going to run out too, and like if you don't right. own one, like there's not going to be a new one out there. You have to go on the secondhand market, which you said it's going to probably like skyrocket. But it's very intriguing to hear all that. But even your point earlier about um, 
like this preservation with like the backwards compatibility, like Xbox ha- and Microsoft has been doing an excellent job. But what happens with the next console and going forward? Does that t- the tune ever change? Like, where's the line they draw? Like, this isn't valuable enough to us anymore. And one day they decide to end that. You know, then like. What happens? Like, even if you own an older system, I still have an Xbox Series X. Do I still get access to all of that? You know, what if they start delisting that? Like, that's always a thing. But if you have the physical disc, that's always supposedly going to work. But Nintendo? Well, on Xbox, though, it's still weird with a physical disc. Oh, does it still need Because the... it, it, it basically reads the disc to prove that you own it. Okay. You know, or that you have a physical disc, I guess. You know, and then it, like, it it's... essentially downloads. Okay. Yeah. So you could still run into issues there. So there's there. certain things that won't even work. Like, uh, I remember when I was going through and testing it out for the our next-gen coverage, uh, I think Splinter Cell or one of the games I was testing had, like, demos on it. And you go to those demos and like, oh, this isn't available because it's not actually reading the disc; it's downloading it and a it's... Series X compatible version of the game. In a way, I do think this could be uh, a benefit as it, it, as the industry pivots more towards subscription services. Is if these services are competing with one another, there is an incentive on them to be like, okay, like maybe it wouldn't be worth it for us to go through the effort of putting this game on our platform for you to purchase individually, but adding it to this collection, it mm-hmm. makes this collection more valuable. Um, because that's that's the rumor with Sony, right, is that they're going to leverage PS1 and PS2 games in their subscription service. And, like, again, that your, your goal is to just get people in the door, and so you want to grab as many people in as many different ways as you can. Like, net... Like, it's a minor event, right, when, like, a classic movie from your childhood, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, shows up on Netflix and you're excited, right? Like, I, I, I think there is value in regularly generating those feelings. Yeah, those rotations, um, rotating in and out content. We past, we talked about how it's probably going to be a thing going forward. I do think, though, with Nintendo, it does feel like they kind of do the bare minimum to get by with their services. Or less. Or less. Minimum, yeah. And you made a good point earlier about like the, the, the backwards compatibility. You're getting on the track where I realized that Nintendo, obviously, they would rather not spend the resources to hire a team to like start doing that process like Microsoft did. They'd rather take a specific – you were saying which games might be worth it for 3DS and DS to bring forward. Like, uh, like I would say like a Samus Returns. They would rather turn that into a spectacle where they do like a, a lot of work to rework that game. Yeah. And a single piecemeal release – sorry, not piece, single focused release where – you go buy it, and that's it. It has a run. It's done. Like They're right. all about that tentpole-style release if it's an older game. And we've seen them do that with countless examples so far with all the Zeldas and Marios that they've, they've been doing. I feel like they're more likely to do that going forward. Um, right. even with I think t- as yeah. much as we love the yeah. virtual console collection, I think the, the business, prob- business model probably wasn't working out. To where, you know, oh, like as you yeah. get past the, t- you know, the big titles that everybody knows... Like we love having access to all these tiny little games, but e- like even something like Metroid Two, you know, if that was there and you know available to buy for three dollars or four dollars, how many people are actually buying that, and how much is that worth? Whatever effort they put in. Yeah. The thing that's interesting about Nintendo's approach, like you mentioned, making a big spectacle of something, is I think there's a a a hardcore or experienced or enthusiast audience, however you want to describe it, right? Where if they were just to, like, say, for example, they were just to re-release a 3D Zelda on a platform with absolutely no frills whatsoever, 
I think that audience is going to be in, but when you make a big spectacle of it, when you completely redo it, when you upgrade it visually or whatever, you also get a whole new generation of players um, that feel like, oh, this is a, a better jumping on point for me. You know, maybe I wouldn't have played an N64 game, but this newer version uh, is is grabbing to me. And it's like the 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 enthusiast audience is in either way, right? And so you're just expanding your yeah. your piece of the pie. And then something like launching the N64 thing is like people can browse and like, oh, I didn't care for that. Right. Didn't care for this, but oh, here's one that I like, you know. Right. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think that's the way it should be, how it should work. And it could be, but like Nintendo just has so much stuff that goes, like, like it, it says they don't even need to do that much effort because... Super Mario 3D All-Stars, I would argue, was, I mean, yes, they did do some updates, but to me, it didn't seem like the biggest effort of a project, uh-huh. and it ended up being the best-selling game for them, like, that <laughs> year, or that quarter, at least, and it's like, that, that is, I mean, it, it was universal enough appeal, but they could just do a Zelda collection as well, the, like, most popular Zelda game, sort together yeah. with very few frills, and it's like, they see it, like, chart, and they're like, that tells them we don't need to do these things, which to me that sucks. Like I hate, like I hate that that works. I feel like it's because their their dedicated fan base is pretty damn large. Yeah. And but like, I wish they would think bigger. Like to me, like something like Arceus. Yeah. Like, switch gears here. Arceus was Game Freak thinking a little bit bigger. Yes. They never needed to do that game. There was absolutely no reason to do something like that game, but they did it. And then two days, it sold like six point five million and yeah. like charted. I'm like. There's the payoff. There is a higher ceiling you can hit if you put in a little bit more effort. I wish they would just understand that a little bit better. Yeah, I absolutely. I I agree with what you're saying. I do think when it comes to Nintendo, I I think like you talking about the the 3D All Stars and and the sales of that. Uh, we did a spoiler mode for Mario Galaxy, and um, Mario Galaxy at this point is is an old game and. Uh, I did not feel that way when I played it, right? And so I, I think, you know, and it's like, that's, that's a game that I've already played. I'm playing it again, and it is still just of such a high quality that I'm getting so much enjoyment from it. And I do think that is part of the reason why Nintendo can get away with it, where when they do kind of choose to get in on some of these games, I'm not playing them and going, oh, this doesn't hold up. It's like, oh, no, like, right. this has such, like, magnanimous praise attached to it for a reason. And it would be one thing, I think, if they weren't also releasing new games in the series that weren't high quality, but, you know, even something like Bowser's Fury was pretty excellent, and then you couple that with, you know, the the brilliant Mario Odyssey or, or Breath of the Wild. It's like, I, I do think, yes, I wish Nintendo would do more. I completely agree with that. It's super frustrating that there is a higher ceiling to hit, as you said, but there is something to the longevity of those games. Yeah. yeah. I think I think one of the things, that too, that, you know, the reason that this bothers people is because we haven't seen those efforts for anything past the N64. You know, it's like the Wii came out. We had N64 games on the Wii. The Wii U came out. We had N64 games on the Wii U. Oh, the Switch yeah. came out. We finally got N64 games on the Switch. We haven't seen GameCube games getting emulated. We haven't. Well, seen, we have seen Wii. We have seen Wii on Wii U. We got digital Wii games on the Wii oh, U. Oh yeah, they yeah. had. So we have could do some, seen a few some downloads of Wii U like, like Wii games. Metroid but, Trilogy. But really, 
not. But not on, on Switch. Switch. Yeah, but yeah. not on Switch. You're right. Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. It's like so, 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 so many games that haven't come across at all. And like you mentioned, like Game Boy games, they haven't even really attempted except for like very special yeah. editions. I, What's the – sorry, go ahead. I was going to say like to agree with your point even more that you made earlier about the, about the, the longevity. It's also – seems pretty cemented in Nintendo's like DNA that they're more about moving on from older games. Like they like to do touch-ups, but like they're not about like doing full like they don't do a Final Fantasy 7 remake style for their games. Right. They really don't do that. They like making new experiences. And I think you said like they keep putting out new quality entries in these series. I think that's where they like to focus their resources. I would wager most people would prefer them to keep doing that rather than spend a lot of effort to go back and revisit older stuff to to update them. Like, well, these games are already pretty good. Like, why mm-hmm. do you really need to do this to them? Whereas I'd rather have, like, a new 3D Mar- – like, I'd rather take a new 3D Zelda than them ever going back and remaking Ocarina of Time. I'm like, mm. just just give me a new one. Yeah. I've played well, Ocarina so many yeah, times. Yeah, that's why yeah. I like with a lot of the, you know, like, stuff like the Pixel remasters. It's like, I don't really need – pixel remaster i just need you to <laughs> put that game out on something that i can play it on yeah. today that's already hooked up and then maybe make it widescreen or something you know so it takes up the whole screen but it, the rest of it you know I, I will still prefer we were talking about super mario all-stars the other day it's like who prefers super mario all-stars yeah, to the original the art physics five well, years later that like that just looked weird yeah and and with Final Fantasy, like they just keep doing it. It's like here's another artist take on it. Here's the PSP versions. There's just so many different versions, and it's like sometimes they get it cool, and sometimes well, it gets I, weird. I almost wonder if by doing it that way, it's a way to combat piracy. Right. Where like I, I wonder if uh, if there are consumers out there where they're like, okay, if you just release the the SNES version, it's so easy, like it's it's ridiculously easy to just snag you know an SNES ROM online and and run it through an emulator. Whereas, not that you, of course you can pirate contemporary games as well, but you know maybe it's a little bit more involved. It just creates just right. you know slightly more of a barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like if you know where to look, it'll take yeah. three minutes. To- right. Download the emulator and download the game and get playing, you know, but and as well as fast forward and all that kind of stuff. All those extra things. Uh, the difference is Cornex does have like an internal team dedicated to doing those types of projects. Right. So a few years ago, they made that official. I mean, it's like seeing like ActRaiser, like Legend of Mana, yeah. like all and now like Chrono Cross. Like they, they, they just keep doing this. And like that's one of the team's objectives there and their mandates is to keep doing that. And Cornex is. Seem to always been more, like I don't know quite when the shift happened, but they're more about updating their classics to present them to a newer audience, so that they they try and capture like the awe you felt when you first look at a game when like back on the like like Final Fantasy X, like seeing X remaster wasn't like HD wasn't quite identical, but it kind of gave me this kind of looks like how I remember it looked on PS2. But if you go look at the PS2 version, man, it looks blurry and like uh. uh. But like they update it because they still want their games to look nice and beautiful. Right. Like they're very still much about as much about the aesthetic as they are about like the gameplay value. So I, I, I see that as being different. Whereas Nintendo doesn't seem to really be about that either. Uh, no, sorry, doesn't seem to be about that period. And they 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 just would prefer to focus on like new projects. Yeah. Something like, uh, oh. to circle back a little mm-hmm. with the curated marketplaces and backwards compatibility and stuff. What Ben said a while ago about PC, it's funny to me that like your Steam library goes with you, but you can still, it's only happened to me once or twice, but you can buy a game on Steam that then just does not work. 
I think it happened. Yeah. It happened to me with Stronghold, <laughs> and it happened to me with um, Vampire of the Masquerade. Fallout. Uh, you had bloodlines. to do some, some work on, yeah. Yeah, I had to like get German patches to like <laughs> make my official Steam purchase work, and it was just really funny to me. Yeah, no, I, I definitely. I kind of like it though. It's kind of fun. I don't know. Spending a lot of time with PC gaming, there are absolutely hurdles that you have to climb. Sometimes with older games, that's true. Um, and so I'm not I'm not trying to say like it's a perfect system, right, but even right. even what you're describing, it's like, okay, I know that there are people working on how to solve this problem, and if yeah. I really want to yeah. work around it, a lot of times I can. Right, um, and like that's just not possible on right on a Switch. Right, it's it's it, like on on console, it's oftentimes a very binary. This either works or doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also. You could ask for a refund on Steam. Where true, you kind of yeah, like true. yeah, it's like kind of jumping through hoops. So you want to even try and get a refund for your purchase on any of these other console platforms? Yeah, and I do think like one before we move on, I think one little nuance I want to like just point out is just there is a difference between like access and preservation because like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people are, like raising like preservation flags, mm-hmm. and I think in a lot of most of these cases like. The preservation is taken care of. You know, we're not in a situation where like Square Enix threw out the old Final Fantasy games or whatever. Like there, there are people that are. You that know, does make kind sure of happen though. Weirdly, like you hear those stories of like, yeah, we just don't have the source code anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that happens less now. I think there's enough yeah, been enough yeah. spotlight that, it, except for maybe some smaller games, um, but. You know, if it's preserved and it's sitting on a server in Nintendo's warehouse, it doesn't really do you any good. So there's <laughs> still the point of, you know, how how can people play these games without turning to, you know, just downloaded versions on aging hardware that's going to, you know, have yeah. a battery die eventually. And like, well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also It's also so fascinating, like, how and when things decide to pop up because outside of so so like Chrono Cross is getting re-released now and before now it was only ever in a PS1 version obviously it was on uh, like you could play it on PS3 and and PSP and Vita yeah that was an interesting program yeah didn't carry forward right that is it (laughs) yeah and I what they were doing in that era of Sony I really liked but I miss PS1 classics man downloading those yeah no it was awesome there were there were so many great things on there that were you know relatively hard to get a hold of but but the point that i'm trying to make is it's just like what who is like now is the time for chrono cross who is like now is the time for live alive <laughs> now is the time for the psychology i'm i'm not saying i'm against any of this i'm way for it i love that it's happening but like sometimes the timing is just like it comes out of nowhere yeah, I wonder if there's just people on that team. It's was for Squenix specifically. Maybe there's just a member on that team that brings those classics back. It's so like, who's interested in a project? And someone raises their hand, like, "Well, I really love this game. Let's do this." And they're like, "Yeah, cool. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it's a that's 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 someone what it feels. Yeah, like, yeah is there's just someone passionate about it? like, yeah. dude, let's do this game. Like, yeah, let's all do it. And like, all right, go do it. And like, yeah. they they just want their team to be excited about games and like. Yeah, I mean, also it could just be like some of these just happen to come out at weird times because they've all been in the works for a while and they just happen to coincide. I mean, I'm picturing yeah. like I'm picturing like uh, a room in the basement at at one of these companies, and it's like 
They're all dressed. They're all like dressed like punks. They're all smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Everyone's like afraid to go down there and talk to them. And they're like, "Hey, what what re-release do we have?" And they're like, "Live Alive." And they just slide them a disc, and they're like, uh, "Okay, cool, thanks." <laughs> it's just like they just do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> no one can control them. They're really intimidating. I would love some insight into how these decisions get made. It's so fascinating to me. Yeah. Uh, another thing that hasn't happened but is in the process of happening is uh, we've got some countdowns this week. Oh, boy. <laughs> At the forefront of my mind. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this past weekend, uh, Capcom just put up a countdown. And I think it was it's just like Capcom.com slash countdown or something like that. Perfect. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't allude to what the game it's is. It's kind of ominous, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we thought... Maybe Resident Evil Village DLC. We thought maybe Resident Evil 4. Uh, and then somebody pointed out, oh, Capcom Cup is ending yep. right before that countdown ends. Yeah, so that's that's definitely something people have pointed out. But it's not it's not just that. It's the 35th anniversary of Street Fighter. Mm. Street Fighter, like, I think it was today is announcing, like, the this collaboration with Magic the Gathering. Oh, uh, yeah, that was a couple days ago. But yeah, I saw that. I was like, yeah. What? And so it just <laughs> it just feels like the stars are kind of aligning for Street mm-hmm. Fighter in a way. And the numbers do look like the Resident Evil font, though, kind of. Yeah, and well, yeah. to to add to help to Ben's defense, a lot of the people who have like oh, no, I talked think about right. yeah talked about like art like the. Leaks and rumors have said that, like, supposedly Street Fighter 6 is using, like, RE Engine as well. So oh, that sure. would make oh. sense that it's in that. So, yeah. Yeah. And so the, there are just, you know, it could just be copium, I guess. But there, there, are, there are things that if you were to make a guess, you could see Street Fighter 6 happening. And it's also, like, the last character that they added to Street Fighter Five. They're like, hey, he's going to be in Street Fighter Six. That's I just, right. I yeah. just feel yeah. like they're putting the ball on the tee, and they, they, they're really getting ready to swing it. Like, there's, there's too many dots to connect. Yeah. Do you think um, that it may be, like, some kind of, like, weird, like, side move? Like, if you're saying, like, 35th anniversary, like, they would just, like, announce some big 35th anniversary blowout and like maybe six is only a part of that or maybe you know they're leading into six with a 35th anniversary like whole big old meta plan with like movies and whatever else possibly i think it's a really good point that you bring up but unfortunately they they like just very recently kind of blew their load with that um they released a new version of Street Fighter 2 not that long ago, and then they had a, stri- a, a, a pretty big and encompassing Street Fighter collection not that long ago either. And so for them to again go and do that, I just sure. don't – it, 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 it feels like the wrong time for, for that kind of thing, if, if, just based on the proximity of, of other projects that they've done. Um, I also think that now is kind of the – perfect time to bring forth a Street Fighter 6 because if you go and you look at um, Street Fighter 4 and, and Street Fighter 5 like Street Fighter 4, 4 kind of came out early enough in the console's life cycle that it was 
able to kind of ride a wave, hmm. you know, from the beginning of the 360 and PS3 to the end of the 360 and the PS3. And that they built Street Fighter V to kind of have a similar longevity. And I imagine they want to do something with Street Fighter VI. Street Fighter VI isn't a normal game release for them where they release the game and do a couple of updates and give you a story you'll see. That's, that's not what it's going to be. It's going to be something that is meant to last and evolve over a long period of time. And so I think announcing it now uh, makes a lot of sense uh, because, like, Street Fighter is is very, very, very powerful, and, and Street Fighter has this sort of name recognition uh, and just, like, market penetration that a lot of other games, uh, you know, outside of Mortal Kombat would kill for. Um and so when you think about things like the upcoming Riot fighting game or, you know, like a new Tekken down the line, like if, if Street Fighter can get out and get ahead and be like, this is coming, uh, I think that puts them in a favorable position. Yeah, I feel like even when Street Fighter is weak, just like the brand name itself yeah. carries it so well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Street Fighter Five. you know, when you think about when it came out and just how difficult that first year was yeah you know how people were reacting to it um how do you think that those lessons are going to get applied to six like what's gonna be the thing that like gets people to turn heads and make that transition yeah um that is the million dollar question (laughs) uh i don't know exactly but there's there's plenty of reason to be optimistic because, I mean, the whole fighting game division over there was massively shaken up. Um, and Street Fighter V has been on a pretty incredible journey from launch to where it is today. And, and just in general, public opinion of it has swung around so much um, than what it was initially. Um, and so that, to me, indicates that they saw problems, they addressed them, and that has put them in a good position to execute on Street Fighter VI. Um, but it is it is just such an ambitious undertaking that I don't envy them, where it's like fighting games have this problem where not only do you have to make... like mechanically fighting games are so dense right and so just tackling the mechanics part of a fighting game is a monumental achievement but then it's like then you have to have robust online you have to make it interesting for people that have been playing fighting games for most of their lives and people that you know don't know like how to do a dragon punch right so it's just like there's so many bases you have to cover and i think street fighter has such a broad audience that like even if they have been making really good changes. I still think they have a monumental task ahead of them. Because, like, like, Street Fighter Four, right, is, is by any metric a gigantic success. But if you were to release Street Fighter Four today, I'm not, of course, talking about things visually. I'm just talking in terms of, of netcode, in terms of features and things like that it would not be up to snuff. Like, the the expectations of the genre have changed pretty dramatically uh, over time. Yeah. Damiani, what, what do you think? What would get you into playing more Street Fighter? <laughs> Being the part of that broad audience. Well, uh, I, I, I mean, 
I think the obvious thing is the thing they've been addressing since the launch of five is that they they just have to have like quote unquote content complete version at launch. Mm-hmm. Like they they need to have a lot of the the features people will expect. That means a lot of the different modes. Um, whether I mean and how successful they've been, like not just like throwaway story mode stuff, but like something that can maybe get maybe some more casual players, just Capcom fans in general who maybe not aren't the biggest like fighting game fans, but like playing Street Fighter just to learn more about like the characters and see those those storylines. Um, like any looking at the other contemporaries and what they are doing as well. Um, I'm not as familiar with what the other the other popular modes are in the other games right now, other than Smash Brothers. But like, I mean, even in like a patron like like Smash Brothers having goofy modes like right. you know, like four and four fights and just dumb things like that just for people to mess around with. But the more important thing I think for its longevity that will that will help it probably with like its initial sales and carry it in the short term. But like, like the biggest thing is they got to get like that net code right. Like mm-hmm. they have to nail that net code. And as you Ben said, like mechanically, they, they they have to get the game feeling good and right. And the 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 the, the balancing act of that game is I of any fighting game seems like just a, a insurmountable like obstacle that they somehow these geniuses most sometimes it's like are able to figure out and they nail it other times some characters get laid to the wayside because they can't figure them out and like that's why they do these patches but i wonder if they're going to go with a, maybe a smaller roster at first to like start like start there and then yeah. not overwhelm me with like a, a large roster like the last few have kind of like done and do they i think they figured out everything else about like the seasonal format they they kind of got that nailed they just they need to get like the base game correct yeah, um, I I think they they <laughs> they it, it, Street Fighter as a brand is is so difficult to manage, and like I'd be pulling my hair out if I was like working as a producer on Street Fighter because it's like you have to simultaneously do everything all at once. Where it's like you need to be new and exciting, and you can't just be Street Fighter again, right? So you have to have some fundamental component to your design that separates it from all the other Street Fighters, right? And part of that is including new characters that can stand up to these characters that have had decades of adoration. But you also have to include those old characters, right? Like, you can't have Street Fighter without... Ryu or Ken or Chun-Li, right? So there's there's certain expectations that are there. And it's just like trying to do everything all at once. But I, I think what is interesting is like I think Kyle Bossman is actually a really good example. Because like when the story mode for Street Fighter V came out, I was really looking forward to it. And I played it and I was like, this sucks. Like I don't, I don't <laughs> like this. I don't think this story is interesting. I don't think it's told in an effective way. I don't think the fights are fun. Kyle Bossman was all over it. And he's like, this is why I'm here, right? And it's like, that should have been there at launch, right? I, I think yeah. for so many people... And it's something like Mortal Kombat is yeah. like taken and run with. Yeah, like the number of people that spend $60 on Mortal Kombat, play through the story mode like once, and then never touch it again is is huge. And so... I do think there is benefit in having a, a story mode like that and having a mode, I think, where – because, like, there are just so many people that just aren't interested mm-hmm. in online for one reason or another. And I think that that's totally valid. And so I do think it is really frustrating that fighting games are really bad at having anything beyond story versus arcade online. Like – 
so many, like every once in a while you get a fighting game kind of trying something out, but they don't really commit to new ways of engaging people who aren't competitive players that do want to keep playing. Fighting games are really bad at that. And so I, I think, you know, having something that could get people excited, uh, it, even if it's something like, hey, do these, like like Mortal Kombat 11 did this, where it was like, we're going to have these constantly rotating challenges and you're going to mm-hmm. get customization yep. items for these characters. You know, I think that is a good headspace to to be in. Uh, where you can keep people's attention, they can engage with it how they want to, and they can change characters that they love in a positive way. I feel like this is where they they want to appeal to a larger audience. But, but you're absolutely right. I think it's like they have to have more stuff that's available that's not just online content, but also not necessarily multiplayer focused as well. Um, I think that's where why I mean the whole reason a lot of reasons why Smash sells so well, but like part of its appeal is that you don't have to A, go online and fight people um, or even like play people like locally. There is significant amount of single player content in there. It could be as simple like, yeah, as rotating challenges like they do in Mortal Kombat to maybe there's like an RPG system where like you do like you do certain fights and like you can level up certain skills and like so you invested in a character now right. and every like month they rotate in new things for you and like there's also cosmetics like essentially like making like a battle pass but also for like offline yeah. content well, like the spirits too. This, and I was going to bring yeah. up spirits like yeah. exactly like the collectability yeah. like they need to lean into the history a lot here right. people love Street Fighter for a lot of various reasons and yeah. like I think they don't lean into it enough in terms of like embrace everything Everything like, mm-hmm. you, like, like yeah, do like collectible stuff for your character that like ties all like all the past versions of Ryu or Ken. It's like, dude, you can get like alt, art, alternate Ken that looks like Street Fighter Two Ken, or maybe and you have like a dojo, a uh, custom dojo you can like you know deck out with collectibles you earn through doing these types of challenges. Like that type of stuff draws people in at least to make that initial purchase, um, and it's just will supplement. If they really nail like the online, they're basically speaking to both. I think demographics there, and man, they could they, they could go really crazy. I mean, yeah. I love the like, idea of a Street Fighter, but man, I, I wish they would like maybe think bigger and just do like a, just a big Capcom fighter. <laughs> I've heard so many people have pet, pet, like have pitched that it's idea. A, it's a great, and idea. it's like Nintendo showed you could do it. Like you, you, but like that's their own type of style of fighting right. game. Street Fighter is a unique thing in in its own right. Uh, I mean, the other games are just like that are like it, but like it's going for a different type of style there. Yeah, it, it's also difficult though because, like, from a production standpoint, you know, you can doing doing the things that we describe are very resource intensive for an audience that is not there in the long term. And I don't mean that as a criticism; it's just it's just a, a fact, right? Where like after the first six months, regardless of what you put in from a single player perspective and you know i'm not saying this in absolutes but in a general sense regardless of what you put in from a single player perspective the people that are going to stick with it are the people that are watching fighting game streams are keeping up with capcom cup that are really excited to try out new characters um you know that are looking at tier list right that so that's that's a that's a tiny fraction of the people but those are the people that are going to be with you for years on end right and so it's just like if we're building this game to last five years, it absolutely makes sense for us to cater to uh, 
th- those competitive players. And that was the mindset they went into Street Fighter V with. And that, that's where they got a lot of criticism. But they, they definitely had, like, a competitive focus first. Um, y- yeah. I, I, I wish there was a way that they could keep that. I know this is ask, a tall ask. I, I, do, I, I definitely agree with that, that they, they need to focus on that. I also see there's a lot of value in increasing like the baseline fan base, mm-hmm. even if they're not going to mm-hmm. get into the competitive scene. You mentioned like like watching streams. Like if you're yeah. just interested in Street Fighter and you're at least playing it, and but you're not playing at a competitive level, even at a multiplayer level, I, I think you would still possibly be interested in checking out those streams and following it. And there's a that is a value to Capcom. So while they're not, maybe they do drop the game actively for a few months every time like they're still actively watching and following it they're, they're still participating and then whenever there's updates to the game maybe they keep coming back that's why like, i think like, uh, they figured out the roadmap thing if they can keep that as tight as it is i feel like they can get even casual type players to keep coming back every so often and either buying a season pass or just piecemeal buying those updates mm. i think that's where they can monetize that type of audience but I uh, I think it's also good for fighting games if you just increase the core amount of players playing. Like somebody in there might like decide, oh, I'm going to try competitive mode now. I'm going to like Mm. it's always better. I feel like the larger pool you have, even if they all don't go up that ladder, like you still want it because uh, you see that as a valid concern and. Man, there's something I gotta like ask you real quick though, Ben, because we were talking like about an idea. This is a little side from this, but still Street Fighter related. Yeah, one v one is still like the bread and butter of Street Fighter. Yes, but I think they've been. I feel like Capcom's been trying to figure out a way to tackle a team aspect because so many of the biggest online games now have a team focus mechanic to it, whether right. it's three v three or bigger. Could you see them have like tr- they've tried in the past with different things and it hasn't kind of hasn't worked out with it? Yeah, do you think that's something they might even consider for this version for Street Fighter Six or whatever they're going to call it in terms of like making a team competitive mode to try and expand the reach? Like and appeal mode. so like there's less focus on the individual yeah uh, like that 1v1 matchup but, but yeah go ahead go ahead no i th- this is exactly the point that i was trying to make where i'm like i i am angry that so many fighting games have this like very strict rigidity with modes that they offer um like uh i'm playing king of fighters 15 right now and it, it's a perfect example where it's like yep there is story there is 1v1 there is training uh, there is online and there is mission mode, right? It's just like the most bread and butter things. And that's I'm not saying that it's a bad game, but it is it is very traditional in terms of the modes that it's offering. And going back to Mortal Kombat 11, there was a stream that I did where there were these like major difficult boss characters. And the way that they structured it is you would co-op with a buddy and you would be like, uh, okay, yes. I'm going to swap into you and you try to take him on, right? And so you're strategizing in terms of how to take down this, this super boss with a friend, right? And it's just a tiny example of the thing that I'm talking about. But I absolutely think people would be into that, right? Like like imagine Ryu and Ken teaming up and, and, and having that kind of camaraderie, you know? Like imagine doing that with like a Huber or somebody uh, that'd be super, super fun. Um, Ben, one of the things I think is, you know, uh, like training modes have been getting better, uh, but it's still hard for a lot of people to go beyond like, okay, here's a move list and here's how, yeah. to, you know, the basics in like an empty room versus, you know, then actually taking that and applying it. Do you think uh, there's room in game for things like 
you know, kind of tutorial style commentaries where they like they look at like pro players and and then like show you on screen like here's what they did, here's how they accomplished the, you know, the kind of reversal or more advanced techniques. Yeah, um, so this is actually a point that I was going to bring up. Um, I do think there are examples of tutorials definitely getting better. I think that is true. But something that they haven't solved yet, and it's the most demoralizing roadblock that you can run into, is you can you can be told something, right? Or, or like mission mode is a, is a good example where it's like, okay, we want you to do this combo. And you run into the point where it's not, you're like, I feel like I'm doing it, but it's not connecting or something is not happening. That is the most infuriating <laughs> aspect. And you can like, you know, go and, and watch videos and try to piece it together. But with the that, that feeling that you have when you know that you need to do something, but you don't know how to do it is is really, really, really tough. And so I almost wish in training mode or or in mission mode or whatever, if the game could recognize it's like, you need to do that special. You like you need to cancel into that faster, or like you know you need to be closer uh, when you try to do this move, or or something like that. If there was like some sort of feedback that the game could give you beyond mm, just yeah. you succeeded or you failed, um, I think that that would help a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. I yeah, definitely giving that type of feedback. It, simple as like too slow on screen like yeah. at a point it's like okay i get it i didn't like input that fast enough for yeah like too far like like how many games even how many fight games even do that do any of them do that right now or to the the only example that i could think of and it's been so long since i've been through it that i may be misremembering but i feel like mortal kombat 11 was maybe a little bit more visual with how it presented its information yeah, um, I know more games just will, like, put all the inputs just, like, scrolling across yeah. as you do them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like, King of Fighters 15 is exactly like that, where it's just like, just do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on top of that, Blood, you actually said something that is a really good point uh, to bring up and watching other people. I don't think a lot of casual fighting game players understand that, where how beneficial it is to to watch somebody, and that's something I've learned uh, with Guilty Gear Strive and with King of Fighters 15, is even if somebody tells you what to do, right? And so, like, this is a classic fighting game example where you're, like, really proud of yourself in training mode because you're like, yes, I landed that thing. I was really struggling with that thing. And then you go into a match and you're like, I cannot do that thing under pressure. It's infuriating. And so... There is so much value in watching other players, really good players. It's like, okay, how do they deal with this? You know, like when they're backed into a corner, what is the method that they take to get out of it? Or when they're trying to just get a poke in, like what button are they hitting? Um, To Street Fighter V's credit, I feel like this never gets enough praise, but the Capcom Fighters Network was awesome. And I feel like no one ever talked about it, and it drove me nuts, because what you could do with the Capcom Fighter Network is you could be like, okay, I'm learning Dulcum, right? You could go in the game and search Dulcum, and then you could search by rank, and you could just watch matches within oh, the games, yeah, nice. right? So if, the, if you're a bronze player, you could specifically look at what bronze player awesome players are doing versus you know like a platinum or whatever and i think that that is that is a really valuable resource that i don't see get praised yeah 
That's really cool. The even something like uh, I don't know how they'd implement it in in game, but I I mean this kind of evol- uh, evolves into like the extended community stuff. Like you know you got to go seek out stuff, stuff. But anyway, they could facilitate it in game or give you something in game that prompts you to go to these things would be so beneficial. Like even something like a like a clip review. Like I am struggling trying to do this. I've uh-huh. watched these videos. I don't get what I'm doing wrong. Let me show you. And like you just like sh- share that with someone yeah. and an expert comes and looks at it. It's like, okay, this is what you're doing wrong right here. Or in a, even when you get to like a matchup level, it's like, I did this. What should I have done here? What would he be rec- like? Just getting that ki- type of feedback, I think, would be very beneficial. And I know that probably already happens, but anyway, Capcom could facilitate that um, in in a way that wouldn't lead to like you know. I mean, there's always gonna be like toxic stuff, but like if there's a way to like it, like a mentor type system where you re- like like I'm always think about dangling rewards. Like if you're like an expert and you've yeah. like a high rank. There's some kind of incentive for you to go back and help like newer players as mm-hmm. well. Like if they could uh, like uh, facilitate a reward system. Versus on the flip side, I think something would be very beneficial. I don't know if it's in the messaging of the game or somehow just ease that anxiety, that the initial barrier to competitive play. Where make it a new player understand you're going to lose a lot, but that's yeah. part of the natural process of getting better at any mm-hmm. kind of competitive game. And you can help facilitate that, not just by messaging, but if there's some kind of reward system for participation at low level, yeah. right, not just right. like ranking up. I'm talking about like, like cosmetics or something like, hey, you still want to throw yourself into the ring a few times because like this new Ryu outfit's only going to be available this month yeah. and you got to participate in like 20 matches. And like, yep. y- y- even if you don't want to do it, it's still helping out the community because it's, it's back to the older the previous point I made, more people are trying it out. The right. pool is getting bigger. And even if 80% percent of people hate the new players hate it if 20 and they just do it for the cosmetics if 20 percent actually go no i like this like that's 20 yep. percent new people being added to the competitive pool that damiani you are so right in that mindset like i'm not saying that they shouldn't have rewards for winning as well but oh, having yeah. having some sort of incentive where it's like just play five matches it does not matter how well you do mm-hmm. um you get something from that that's that's going to excite you that that you care about regardless of the type of skill level you are i think is a really really smart approach um the other thing that i wanted to say uh that i think guilty gear strive did a really good job of because this is absolutely correct a lot of people have this notion where they're like, okay, I need to learn a fighting game, and their instinct is to be like, I'm going to go online and look at combos, or I'm going to learn every move in the moveset. And it's like, no, 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 you're not there yet, right? <laughs> like, like you don't, you, you need to, you know, you need to learn to crawl before you can run. And so, like, the Guilty Gear Strive tutorial specifically doesn't teach you those things. I don't think that this is a best approach but i think their mindset is right and like their mission mode was very layered in the sense that like it really walked you through individual mechanics in terms of of complexity so there was a super nice ramp up in terms of what you were learning and i think communicating to players like that because like every fighting game right when they have a character trailer it's like look at all this cool shit you can do. Like, look at this combo into that and look at that crazy super. And then a lot of players are like, okay, awesome. And then they download the character and they're like, oh, I can't do any of that, right? So that's what you need to communicate is like, how do you get to the cool stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Ben. Yes. What's Soul Hackers? Soul Hackers? We got a a countdown on a Japanese website for Soul Hackers. Yeah. uh, Uh, Soul Hackers is a 1997 uh, Saturn uh, SMT spinoff game 
that released in North America uh, on the 3DS. And it is a game that I've played uh, all the way through. And it was a game that like definitely has a very cult following. Oh, I, yeah, actually, I didn't know you played it. That's yeah, cool. yeah, I did. I did. I played through it. And um, I actually did not. I think because I went in with like pretty high expectations, I did not like it um, as much as I thought I was going to. But uh, people write and what attracted it to me to it initially was just like it just it's just such a cool vibe like the the like cyberpunk hacker kind of edgy vibe that it has is is so much fun and and so appealing to my sensibilities and like my reaction to this because Huber posted this in Slack I was like what soul soul hackers like out of all of the things that I would expect <laughs> Atlas to bring back soul hackers was not at all what I was expecting. And so I think kind of the, the out-of-left-field nature definitely has me excited. Uh, is it SMT-related or is it entirely separate? Um, what, do you, what do you mean? I mean, it's, it's very much cut from the SMT cloth where, like, a lot of the mechanics, like, you know, the same pool of demons. Okay, that yeah, that's what thing. I mean. Yeah, because, right. like, a lot of these things, like, it's like, okay, they're separate worlds or storylines or whatever, but they're – Pitch sort of a spin-offs. You know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Devil Survivor and that kind of thing. Yeah, it is. It is a spin-off in the sense where it is. It is dealing with like its own cast and its own story, but there are many commonalities uh, that you can compare with like a core SMT game. I. It's also one of those things where it's been so long since I played the 3DS version. I'm like, okay, am I remembering this correctly? And I think so, but yeah. So, uh, it, but yeah, out of left field. Yeah. And I think that's coming, yeah, uh, Monday. So we'll see. Mon- Monday, Monday is a big man. day. So, so <laughs> yeah. we get Soul Hackers and the, the, the Capcom announcement. But yeah, because I think the Capcom is like late Sunday night at like 10 o'clock, something like that. What time is the Soul Hackers announcement? Uh, I I think it ends Monday, but I don't know exactly what time. But yeah. Um, I really have to give it to... Atlas, because I I feel like they kind of go out of their way to, in a, in addition to expected things, they kind of have these weird projects that they mm-hmm. they bring to life like pretty consistently, um, and so like like Tokyo Mirage Sessions is a perfect example oh, yeah. <laughs> where, like rather than taking like a super generic or expected path with that crossover, that game is like wonderfully weird and unique in such a cool way, and. Like, not only is it kind of, like, wild that Soul Hackers is coming back to me, but what SMT5 did in terms of just, like, presentation and exploration, um, like, that framework is really, really solid. And so taking that and applying it in a different way, but using that foundation to build off of, like, this game could be sick as hell. And I don't even think we know, like, platforms or anything like that. No. They no. showed there's, like, some live stream where there's, like, a couple of, like, like weird, like, almost through, like, a distorted video camera, like, with a bunch of noise on it. You could, like, make out some things. This is, like, some guy's apartment and, like, a pizza and a gun. Uh, yeah, a bottle some, of beer. Yeah, a bottle of beer, a guy in a black and red jacket, but not really a whole lot there other than to say that it doesn't look like it's, like... A super high budget game, mm-hmm. uh, but it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to say where it end up being. Yeah, I'm, I'm so curious and excited. I, 
I wonder if it will. It's. I mean, based on the images, it seems like it's a brand new game. Like it's not right. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's re-releasing it. So either it's a remake or it's a new game. And now a word from our sponsors. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh made me the hero because you obviously realize the pressure that you're under for everybody in that experience when your in-laws come to town. Now, Amanda and her mother's love language is making food for other people. I don't really know what my love language is. Telling people that video games are good, I guess, is my love language. My love language does not involve food. Food brings me a tremendous amount of anxiety. And so it's like, it would be a great win, not only, obviously, to take advantage of our wonderful sponsor, HelloFresh, but to maybe make some of these meals in the presence of my wife and her mother, who are excellent cooks, and maybe make them happy and show that I'm actually a big boy with big boy pants on, and that in my 40s, I'll be capable of actually preparing a meal for myself. Uh, thank you, HelloFresh. Thank you for, for bridging that gap and making me actually... It's, it's a very interesting feeling watching people eat the food you just made. Uh, it's something I know you're probably sh- closing your eyes and shaking your head, Jones. You should have done that a lot earlier than your 40s. Well, here we are. And I got there thanks to HelloFresh. Customize your favorite dishes with their new Hello Custom offerings by swapping out one protein or side for another, upgrading for a more luxe experience, or even adding protein to a veggie meal. That means more choices, more variety, and more meals truly tailored to you. HelloFresh cuts back on time spent in the kitchen with meals ready in around 30 minutes or less. Plus, quick and easy meals including 20-minute recipes and low prep and easy cleanup options provide an even faster route to putting food on the table. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Allies16 and use code Allies16 for up to 16 free meals and three gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash Allies16 and use code Allies16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. What would you do if you didn't have high interest loans or credit card debt? Would you move to a new city or start a family? Through Upstart, you can pay off your existing debt quickly with a personal loan so you can tackle your next big financial goal. For many people, getting financially healthy means dropping the weight of credit card debt. But where do you start when it feels like a never-ending cycle? Upstart can help you pay off your existing debt quickly and easily with a personal loan so you can start living your life. If you have multiple credit card balances each month and are only paying the minimums, barely making a dent in your credit card debt, it can be discouraging. Upstart can help you pay off your debt exist Upstart can help you pay off your existing debt quickly so you can feel like you're finally getting ahead. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score, so rather than looking at your credit score alone, Upstart Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score, so rather than looking at your credit score alone, Upstart's model considers other factors like your income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application to find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score in just five minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. I have taken loans before. This is Brandon Jones speaking to you. I have taken loans before. I have definitely seeked I've definitely sought financial help uh, to deal with production expenses, to deal with personal expenses. It has never been done in five minutes. I, I, I have not gone as far as to get an actual loan from Upstart. I have gone through their entire process, 
And when they first sent me copy, they said it was five minutes. And I said, all right, you got five minutes. And I set a timer on my phone and they beat it. I don't remember. It was three minutes something. But I'm telling you, I am somebody who really does not like to do any sort of file work, paperwork, anything on the Internet. And uh, for a sponsor, nonetheless, on a podcast. Uh, And the whole Upstart experience was extremely easy. Uh, Shout out to them for making something that is not a fun experience, potentially. It's not something that is super exciting to do, you know, wrestling with the fact that uh, you have debt and you have these payments to make. And Upstart makes it incredibly easy and wonderful to do. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash easy allies. That's upstart.com slash easy allies, one word. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash easy allies. As you know, we are entertainment endorsers here at Easy Allies. We talk a lot about video games, but we also talk about film, we talk about comic books, we talk about television. There's a lot of stuff we're watching, there's a lot of stuff we're checking out. We have a show called Spoiler Mode, where we talk about spoilers from shows that we have experienced. I'm, I'm botching doing one on Boba Fett because I'm working on other things right now. Whenever we decide something is worth doing a Spoiler Mode for, the big question is always, how do we access this thing? How do we get our hands on it? Does somebody have access to the service? Do we already have access to a service, but maybe there is a show that we can't watch? Maybe there is something behind the paywall we're already paying, but we don't have access to. What we discovered is you can use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. ExpressVPN lets you change your online location so you can control where you want sites to think you're located. Open the app, select a location, tap one button to connect, and refresh the page to access thousands of new shows and movies. It's literally that easy. I use it on a PC. Isla and Huber have both both used it on mobile. And um, you know Huber can't make that stuff work. Huber figured it out. Um, It was very easy for Huber to use. Uh, You can choose from over 100 different countries. Uh, I primarily, the two that I've been guilty of for sure are uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, which was on Netflix but was in certain regions. Uh, I'm also a big Doctor Who fan, and you never know what you're going to want to catch up on. One of the crazy seasons of Doctor Who. A lot of that is available in the UK, not available in the States. Um, Works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube. You can stream in HD, no problem, no buffering or lag. It's compatible with all your devices, phones, laptop, media consoles, smart TVs, everything. Not only does it change your location, it also encrypts your data, lets you surf the web safely and anonymously, which has its own comfort level. Go to expressvpn.com allies to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. expressvpn.com allies. Go to expressvpn.com allies to get three months free on a one-year package. And if you are a patron of Easy Allies, thank you. All right, Friday, we got the January NPDs. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh. It's always fun to, to look over these, see how uh, things are going. Pokemon. Pokemon, <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, so Pokemon was one of the, the two uh, new entries. Uh, it's all the way at the top. And uh, it has got the star on it, which means that digital sales are not included. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Pokemon is gigantic. Uh, absolutely. Uh, do you know what the other brand new game for January ended up being? The other brand new game. I feel like I should know this. Uh, I think you might. It's a game we yeah. never got around to. We didn't? Yeah. And it came out in January. I 
You have to forgive me because it's like, so have, hard to remember. Yeah. Well, no, you have to understand when you like are assigned to review something, like your brain just kind of like focuses on that thing. And so the last few weeks have just been Pokemon, Pokemon Legends for me. Yeah. So like I, I can't, I have like tunnel vision. I can't. Yeah, it was it was Rainbow Six Extract. Oh my God, really? Yeah, at number nine, <laughs> it, it got in there. Didn't oh, sell wow. as much as Mario Kart Eight, but <laughs> got it. Yeah, so Rainbow Six Extraction, I had some reservations about going in, but I I, I played the tutorial of it, and this is this is I totally admit this is absolutely not being fair to the game. I, just, I I'm not in a qualified position to say whether that game was good or not, but after playing that tutorial a few times i was like i'd never (laughs) (laughs) i just personally had no interest in it right good if your tutorial is doing that uh (laughs) and then we also had uh two games kind of come back on the charts yes you know one of these you absolutely know one of these you probably know both of these if you think about it why am i so bad at getting they come back it's another it's a port yeah we got two new pc ports PC ports. PC ports. Oh, Monster Rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Monster Rise. Dude, I've been playing Monster Rise on PC and it's so jolly. And uh, then God, God of War God number War. five. Yeah. 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 Resurgence. What? Why does anyone bother making new games when re-releases <laughs> make so much fucking Dude, that's money? That's a new strat. Release it on like a graphically <laughs> inferior version on Switch and then make yeah. a PC version on later, Dude. a year later. And, like... and you know what? I'm sitting there... <laughs> Happy as a clam playing Monster Hunter Rise on PC, Ooh. being like, I'm never touching the Switch version again. See, Game Freak just put Arceus in a year on PC. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would be so happy. I would. 10 million in one I month. I would be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Atlas can do it. They can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the full top 20. So number one was Arceus. Number two was Call of Duty Vanguard. Of course. Uh, number three was Monster Hunter Rise. Number four was... Number three was Monster Hunter Rise? I'm going to yeah. clap for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, right between Call of Duty and Madden. So Monster Hunter's doing good. Uh, number six was uh, Miles Morales. Oh, that's a so that's, that's big still surge. around there. Yeah. Well, Dude, don't seven the month before, but... I guess not, not, I guess not surge. Longevity is where I was, yeah. sorry, I was going for there. They like that, that thing's just like... Over a year now, it's still charting in the top ten. Doing, doing really yeah, well. Damiani, ten years ago, uh, a port of Monster Hunter Ri- of a Monster Hunter game being number three at the MPD <laughs> would be impossible. Yeah, a port, they're, they're, yeah. yeah, it's like a yeah. port, not even the main release. Like, it, it wasn't that long ago that that would be unheard of. Uh, number seven is FIFA. Uh, number eight is Mario Kart Eight, as I said. Of course, <laughs> of course, of course. What Keeps else? Going. Bring those tracks. <laughs> Everyone will buy. Yeah. Everyone. Uh, number nine is Rainbow Six Extraction. Number ten, Battlefield 2042, which mm. still hanging uh, around, making some headlines too this week. Uh, just like the, the internal reports on why that's not doing too well, but right. it's still there in the NPD. So right. Um, Eleven is the other Pokemon, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl. Twelve, Far Cry Six, hanging in there. Mm. Thirteen, Minecraft. <laughs> Hanging in there. Uh, NBA 2K22, Mario Party Superstars, Animal Crossing, Forza Horizon 5, down Ooh. at 17. Halo Infinite right behind it at 18. Ooh. But big drop for Yeah, they for say Halo, Halo well, drop. The, the, yeah. the thing that makes that weird for both Halo and Forza is they're on Game Pass, and that's not right. included in MPD. Yeah, I don't Yeah, I don't think it is. That's I don't know. I, I mean, maybe yeah. it is. I don't think it is, but... Yeah, it's it's weird because 
digital sales for everyone that does report them to NPD, it's like, you know, the publishers, you know, send that over. So I don't know if Xbox would somehow, like, give them some weird, here's our Game Pass, you know, attach rate. It probably doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, probably just full-on digital sales. Um, And then Smash Brothers Ultimate at 19 and Call of Duty down at the bottom with uh, Black Ops Cold War. So two Call of Duty's on there. Uh, but then, oh yeah, not January, but right on the tail, we've got another big game. Gigantic. Lost Ark surpassed 1.3 million concurrent players on Steam in the first week, putting it in second place of like all time. All time, yeah. So the only thing higher than it is PUBG. It's above CS:GO. It's above Dota 2. It's above anything else you can think of. Mm-hmm. And you guys have been checking it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's I was happening playing with it this before game? Before I showed up here. Why 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 the jump? Why is everyone into it? Blood, I am so excited to talk about this game. <laughs> because like Lost Ark is is truly fascinating to me because it's it's not a great game. <laughs> like it's not. It's I I I really am having a good time with it. I think the combat is so much fun, but if you really want to give it a fair evaluation, like the questing is as generic and boilerplate as it could possibly be, you are constantly getting notifications of like, click on this, click on this, click on this, click on this. And so there, there's a lot of, of things that I think other games uh, get criticized for. I mean, maybe it would even sink other games. I, I do think I, I'm going to keep playing Lost Ark. I am enjoying it. But I think its quality is kind of being superseded by how much of a social event this is mm-hmm. and how utterly genius the uh, the the release strategy for Lost Ark has been. And it also shows the power of Twitch in multiple ways. Yeah, so you, that's why I was wondering if Amazon yeah. being able to push Twitch to make this happen. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. Uh, I think Amazon having a significant investment in this game as well, being its oh, yeah. publisher yeah, they're there, publishing it here, yeah. is there. They're, they're definitely pushing very hard uh, on this, it's, and the, but they also have like a bit of a zeitgeist behind it too. Where yes. they were trying to do that with New World, but New World was brand new; it didn't exist before, and they were trying their best, and like it did have a big arrival when it was the flavor of the month. But this time, uh, it's big release uh, uh, for the rest of the world here. It comes with a little bit more of a pedigree because it has been such a big game over uh, overseas. It has oh. been it has an established rep- reputation, and like it just goes. A lot of the biggest streamers were just waiting for this game to come out so they mm-hmm. could dive into it. So it just like led to a thing where it has already been a known quantity. Plus, people waiting to finally dive into something they've heard about. Like, man, I all I've been hearing about is this thing. And as you said, like maybe it's not like a great game, but I, I think. There's so much about it that is familiar, yes. um, and and people like that, and it even speaks to like what Huber likes to champion. Like nothing beats like a new MMO launch. Like right. it's like that mentality, mm-hmm. and this it has a lot of the the key components I think that people are looking for. And maybe, and I keep hearing that Absolutely. at a certain point, like every MMO, after a certain point, it gets good. It does yeah. get good. Yeah. So it's like you just got to like push through those first whatever 50, 100, whatever hours it is, <laughs> and you'll eventually get to the good part of it. And that's like, I don't know. There are people who are still playing it, and I don't. I can't say if it's going to last forever, but like it is definitely – if, they, if they, they react fast enough, they could definitely do something with this. Yes. There are – what's – 
what's so interesting about this game is there's so many different angles to measure its success. Um, and Damiani, you kind of touched on some of them, but I want to elaborate there, where because this is an established game, it doesn't run into the pitfall that so many new MMOs run into where everybody gets really excited about it and then they get to the end game and they're like, there's nothing to do. Mm. Like this, mm. because Got it is it. an already yeah. existing game that has been going on for years, they already have an end game that is fleshed out and that people are speaking positively about, right? So you have that, which is huge. But then you also, like, the, the power of Twitch cannot be overstated. I mean, when you have people... When you have like more than like 350,000 concurrent viewers watching one of the biggest streamers play this, but not only like that streamer, but like the top like 10 biggest streamers are all playing this and talking about it, you want to jump in and Lost Ark did the very smart thing where you could pay for early access, but oh, it's yeah. also free to play, right? <laughs> and so it's like they're, yeah. they're attacking it from every possible angle. But then part of the reason why those streamers had such high view counts is they're like, if you watch this person for four hours, yeah. you'll get a pet in game. Yeah. Oh, and you know what yes, I did? Yes. 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 Oh this drops. Is, yeah. And yeah. the streamers, the streamers will drops. say in the title, drops enabled. And you bet your ass I just put that streamer on muted my phone and let it run wow this stuff works so well and because i mean because it already is you said amazon's own thing and they own twitch and it's their integration like they're just like maxing it out right now and Mm -hmm. like incentivizing every big streamer with these like these like kind of like kickbacks it's like yeah you you do this and stuff people watch you get this free thing but also like you're benefiting from like extra subs and stuff like that so like it's this whole system that everyone comes out a winner like the streamers feel good because they're getting the big like huge even bigger numbers than they're used to they're getting like a lot more revenue from it new people who are watching it are getting rewarded even if like uh, then they're even if they don't have the game yet they're watching it like oh i got a prompt for this thing like well maybe I should just go download now oh it's free to play well sure like so many things are just filtering in it that are going right with this one that just wasn't there for something like New World mm-hmm. and I also think it's like the game feels maybe a little bit more like I know there's a lot of things flying at you but again that familiarity it feels so similar it, like it kind of well the, the combat is incredibly slick yes I do want to give a shout out to the fact that uh not everything works as smoothly as I had hoped in terms of like controller inputs, but the combat system on controller is pretty much like flawless. Mm. Like you don't even have to like think about anything, which is like something I very much appreciate. Sure, I'll use the mouse to click on NPCs and stuff like that, even though you don't have to. But when it comes to the the meat and potatoes, the fact I can just only use my controller and it feels like I'm just as capable as if I'm using a mouse or keyboard. That is so important to get yeah. right. And I think that's why they're capturing so many people because right. you just increase that amount of pe- that, that that appeal. Yeah, and it doesn't. Speaking again to the combat, right? And so I, uh, my, f- the class that I'm currently playing, the first class that I picked is is a gunslinger, right? And you you said the meme like, yeah, after 50 hours, it, it gets it, MMOs get good. Literally, in so many MMOs, yeah. you start basically naked and you're like okay go hit this rat and just push the one key right my first class it's like okay you're a gunslinger you can switch between dual pistols a sniper rifle and a shotgun here are all of your abilities where you're flying around you're shooting a a hailstorm of bullets and things are exploding all around you right and it's like 
you know, of, of course that's not getting, I'm not, I'm not saying that like mechanically that is, that is brilliant or anything, but it's just that initial satisfaction that you get, that initial flash, I think definitely draws people in where it's like, you don't have to go through all of that to feel powerful. Uh, you can start the game and, and get a sense of that pretty immediately. And so I think that is um, extremely smart. Yeah, that's such a good point. So many of the the so many MM uh, I think almost every MMO probably I haven't played them all but it feels like almost every MMO doesn't get it right when you're starting out. Right, they really do a bad job of taking too long to get you to a point. No matter what class or job you pick, that you don't even get to like the your, your, the, the 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 basics. Like you're started like you're on training wheels for so long, yep. and you, you it's an uphill battle at that point because the game feels so simple, so basic, and that's why everyone accuses every MMO of looking the same, doing the same things because like you don't have all these skills yet, which really differentiate everything and make combat feel more unique. Even like this is one of the biggest criticisms against Final Fantasy fourteen is that like we're like you have like nothing in the beginning. Like so many people want to see them overhaul it in the future to maybe like take all the abilities you have at level fifty and just slap them on you at level one. People can handle that. Like you trust your player base a little bit more to 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 work with that stuff because it's just so boring to play below a certain level, and the, the the fact that like I start out and I see so much available, it's like that, and it, and it looks cool. Like I did the uh, the the what was the the monk's advanced class, not the peacekeeper, though the one on I the don't far, know the names of the, the one on the far right. I forget what it's called, but they their bread and butter one is like a charge move where they pound the ground and launch everyone up, and then they follow with like a gun thing or whatever, like some kind of like projectile where it juggles them in the air, and I'm like. That's a cool combo. Yeah. It's, it's like, like it's like it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like all right. Yeah, I definitely. like that, that that like I've not seen like that's much more impressive to me than just doing like light up button one two three and I just did three different types of sword punches or something. It's like this is this feels more um, uh, this feels more rewarding to me at at, at at the start. I also think the timing for this game is just about perfect because I think there's a there's mm-hmm. a huge audience of people that really love action RPGs and MMOs. I do think there's a lot of bleed over between those two things. And it's like, WoW is kind of in a down period right now. I think if you're uh, an avid Final Fantasy XIV player, you've finished Endwalker, right? And so, and and Elden Ring isn't out yet. There is no Path of Exile 2. There is no Diablo 4 yet. Right. And so that, that's kind of what I mean is like, I think if if, like Path of Exile 2 and Lost Ark came in out at the same time, I think Path of Exile 2 would just be a better game and would capture a lot of that attention. But because like Lost Ark has been a, a precision nuclear strike on, on all levels, it's just like hitting so hard. And I don't think it will last. I definitely think it will it won't be this phenomenon for a long period of time, but I think its initial success was so explosive, so big, that this game is going to be very healthy. It's it's actually a similar trajectory, I think, to like a Genshin Impact. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have kind of a two-part question that sort of goes in with what you're saying, but do you think that we're kind of in a resurgent for resurgence for MMOs? And do you think that's sort of because more people are like, okay, I'm just peeling away from, wow, I'm going to try something else, or because maybe that Final Fantasy XIV has brought in so many people that like, okay, I actually I like MMOs now, let me find out what else is out there. Because we've got this, but then, you know, we also had New World, which, you know, like, it fumbles in some ways, but it's still doing fairly well, and there's also new expansions coming out 
right now for like Old Republic and Guild Wars 2. And it just feels like there's a lot of mm-hmm. MMO activity happening right now. Whereas a couple of years ago, like somebody had talked about putting out a new MMO. It's like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting question that I think is really multifaceted because when you think about like the, the, the last sort of zenith of MMOs, it was World of Warcraft and it was like, okay, it has a very particular structure. You pay $15 a month for this service that is ongoing. I actually think what you're calling as the resurgence of MMOs is kind of coinciding with the surge in like mobile RPGs and gotcha games Mm. because there's actually a lot of bleed over in philosophy uh, between those two things. And I think as people get kind of more accustomed to mobile RPGs, when they they see that in something like a Lost Ark, it feels immediately familiar to them. So a good example of what I'm talking about, when you like log into Lost Ark, you get a login bonus. Mm. And they're like, if you log in 20 days in a row, you will get a, a, a mount, right? If you think about like the old era of MMOs, that kind of thinking wasn't there, but that is something that is bread and butter of, of any kind of like long-standing mobile RPG. And so I, I think it's I think it's it's a few things, and I think that that's the thing that kind of Lost Ark has going for it, where it's appealing to so many different types of players, right? I think it's appealing to MMO players. I think it's appealing to action RPG players. It does have a cinematic story, so if you want that, that's there. If you just want to grind it out, it loves to do that with you <laughs> like it's something i think lost ark does that is incredibly smart and i'm like jesus why don't more games do this is you have this skill tree and you can pump a bunch of points into the skill tree uh but you know you always have that question like what if i make a mistake or i want to change you can just do it right there okay. you'd be like okay I pumped all my points into that. I'm going to remove those points and register. You can just do it on the fly in the menu, and it's like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah, you don't have to do some weird, yes. like, go to this vendor and, you know. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I see that's doing very well that I haven't personally gone to yet, but I've seen people wish other MMOs would kind of, like, copy is – there are these uh, seeds in the game, mm-hmm. and they're hidden in yeah. dungeons, mm-hmm. and it encourages you to go off the beaten path and explore. Um, they're yeah. needed, they're rewards, but they're also needed to upgrade something. I don't know what they're used to upgrade, but they are part of a progression path, and it's something that's not really done in dungeons. Most dungeons are about rush to the end, beat the boss, get your experience and your loot, and that's it. You don't want to like go and do like explore anything. There's no reward for going to explore this stuff. Okay, maybe there's a loot box or something, but it's a known quantity. But like this is going like really often like and you don't know it exists and like it could be over here it's not like it, it's something that breaks kind of like the the linear progression nature um that, that seems to be like a struggle for a lot of mmos to figure out how to tackle yeah is a sense of exploration within like the the instance content because sure you have these giant environments you can run around and explore but like all the like every other piece of content it feels so kind of like formulaic and this is something simple that seems to be breaking that mold a little bit i'm seeing a lot of people suggest other mmos should look at this and try and figure out a way for them to work it in as well it was a really neat moment i was in an instant dungeon with a party and i saw like one of my party members like dart off to a corner it's like wait a minute that's not the direction that we're going and then following them and be like oh there's one of those seeds there it was just like a tiny Mm. tiny little moment the other thing damiani is i'm i'm less than 10 hours into uh, Lost Ark, but I did a dungeon recently 
the Marai Ruins dungeon that mechanically was fucking awesome. Like it there you were going through this path and like there was this part where there was the spike trap floor and you had to like time it right and then there were these things that would slam and then the final boss fight you had to like grab a mirror go into the sunlight use it uh, against the boss and like final fantasy 14 there are fights that i did in shadowbringers where i'm like this mechanically is so so cool like i wish more people could experience that and i know that you've had that feeling a hundred times over but like for the first couple dozen hours of Final Fantasy XIV, yeah. like, it's just not that mechanically interesting. It just isn't. Um, and, of course, you know, they're trying to ease you in. But I think Lost Ark trying to push some of those more interesting mechanics earlier on in the experience is super smart. I've definitely heard people say that they, they studied XIV's like, mo- like more recent dungeons. But they didn't settle for that. They actually yeah. were trying to push it even further. Got it. Yeah. People are like, man, I kind of wish they would go twofold. I wish there were more moment-to-moment mechanics in terms of this traversing the dungeon that I would have to deal with in mm-hmm. fourteen versus, I guess, I, uh, some of the dungeons apparently like have go even more flashy on like the cinematic experience with them, like oh, how they're definitely. presented. Yeah. And they're like, man, they could even step up their game a little bit more by like seeing what they're doing here yeah. in Lost Ark and, and, and if they want to go bigger and better, if they're looking to improve with a bigger budget potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's interesting to see every everything that they're doing right, and yeah, you know, like it's 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 funny because it's like I don't play a lot of MMOs, but like sometimes hearing you guys talk about it's like eh, yeah, might might scratch it a little bit. And maybe. the thing is, is like blood, it's free. Like you could yeah. just download it, you know. For sure. Yeah, they definitely got that going. It's free and you can actually get it. It's not you know they didn't suspend sales. No, <laughs> no, and it's not suffering from but they success did, uh, yet. I saw that they had to uh, like add more servers to Europe or something like that because it, it was for Lost Ark. Yeah, I've said like. Oh yeah, yeah, they had to. They posted a it, thing on their blog that they were they yeah. need they were capped or whatever. <laughs> it's been so successful that there have been two nights now where like I'm like, okay, time to dig into Lost Ark, and I see the message maintenance will be in 30 minutes, and so like <laughs> right. they're definitely <laughs> definitely working behind the scenes to try to accommodate the player base. I will I will say I hope the. It's nature. I've seen the accusations of like the pay to win stuff in it. Right, right. Uh, I, I, I hope that's what I'm talking about. They're like they they are a, like maneuverable. Like they have enough maneuverability and flexibility to adapt to maybe how international audiences mm. receive that type of stuff and potentially right. like different like go a different path with that. Like either curtailing, curtailing it a little bit or I don't know. Like you still having it, but it's not so much like a pay to win where it could be more like cosmetic, I, but it's that this is a concern that they'll probably need to like figure out if they want the, this game to have longevity Two, you can pick like a lot of money can buy you a lot of publicity and a lot of reach in your launch. Like we're seeing here from this point on, despite its pedigree, like they have to earn their success. I feel going right. here and it's about keeping those content updates, keeping their, their fan base happy and mm-hmm. just not being like, Oh, we had a big, we had a big launch. We'll wait six more months before we do anything like new. Like they have to understand that that, that won't work. Right. Um, so you're saying like because they it, have that built-in advantage, that people will still get to the end of that stuff, and then how how soon? Yeah, like they can like yeah, yeah they they could still pay for like bursts, but like that that's gonna like have diminishing returns after a while. Like they need to have genuine like passion and enthusiasm from their fan base 
to to keep that game going to maintain this level of success if they want to avoid just being another flavor of the month where we moved to March and I was like Elden Ring by like Lost <laughs> sorry Lost Ark I'm yeah. not coming back to you even after Elden Ring like I'm playing Elden Ring and then like some other MMO launches like in April or whatever and it's like mm, well we're gonna try this out by like you don't want that to happen you want people to become so engrossed so invested in your game and and, and it has to be it has to be quality that, that that's the biggest thing yeah and. Who knows? Keeping like a gamer's attention is is, is a nearly impossible task. <laughs> but I do think, you know, throughout this conversation, I think we've highlighted smart decisions that they've made, and to me, that that indicates there is an understanding of this market in a way where, like, I I would like to believe and be optimistic that they they are aware of the concerns and like have already thought of of ways to address them or to you know reget people's attention. Yeah, and I think I don't know how much influence Amazon has on the developer itself, but they definitely can take the lessons learned from New World and mm. like right. see where they made some mistakes there with like being slow to too slow to react and or not fully understanding what the player base was really asking with the feedback they were like misinterpreting feedback or yeah. just giving a wrong reaction and maybe having that communication with the development team about here's what your international audience is saying about the game you know let's let, maybe like we we know what we're talking about and we understand it a little bit better this time just being transparent i think is the biggest thing like just being upfront about stuff earned you so much because to, to, to talk about like the wow to 14 transition, seeing so many it, – it was just so many people being surprised who were long wow veterans, seeing how candid yeah. 14 developers would be about issues. They're not perfect. They are not perfect. But the fact that they would even like do a monthly video where they talk to their community and give them updates like, wait, what? You do that? Like there's not just a trailer? <laughs> like – Blizzard doesn't do this type of thing. And like now you see Blizzard was trying to like, oh, scramble a little bit with WoW. Like, oh, maybe we should take this in consideration. With Lost Ark and Amazon, I mean, Amazon is like has the tools, has the resources to 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 have people in those places to be like community outreach. And right. if they really want to like develop and, and and have this game grow and succeed. Yeah, and but I but I also think you know, you were talking about like Elden Ring coming out and um, that diverting attention away or, or other games. And I, I do think that will happen in, in a mainstream sense. But I think so many games have constantly prove, proven that you don't necessarily have to be at the forefront of mainstream attention to oh, yeah. cultivate a large audience mm-hmm. and, and generate continued success. I think Warframe is a perfect example yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. I think Genshin Impact is a good example of that. I think Fire Emblem Heroes is yeah. a good example of that. <laughs> right? Oh, and yeah. so I think, I think as long as you're able to... Be in tune with that core audience and continually provide for them. Exactly. Even if you're not, you know, at the front page of Twitch, I still think you can be a quiet behemoth. Yeah. I will say that your thing, you asked the two questions you posed. Right, right. I will say a big element of this is wow, just faltering. Like yeah. for oh, so absolutely. long, we've had so many MMOs yeah. that have come over the, uh, the like the years and there's just not enough, like wow, just gobbled up so many people. Yep. And, and now that like it has, you know, it's 
fal- uh, faltering, whatever you want to say, it's happening with it. It is no longer the 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 the, the juggernaut that like is created. Its power vacuum has allowed enough new entrants to come in and have a chance. And I think this is positive because having all these other ones falter and like kind of like fail in the in the shadow of a World of Warcraft or only found like minimal success. This might be what the genre needs because so many people are like MMOs are probably not gonna, they're going to be as many of them like it's a hard market to get into it was because like it was so dominated by one player I think this is healthy actually for for MMOs and uh, MMOs and maybe there'll be like a, a potentially is a renaissance and maybe we'll see some more innovation and people pushing the boundaries of what you can do in these types of games Dude Damiani you're absolutely right like wow was in this almost singular position where it was so big and so many people were ride or die for it. I mean, it had devotees that lasted for years and years and years and like were committed exclusively to World of Warcraft and they squandered that devotion in like an almost unbelievable way, but they fucked it up so badly (laughs) that even the most devoted people were like, no, I'm going to try out something. And I, I think that squandering, Damiani is exactly right. Like, I don't, it, I, I think if WoW was killing it, these things would not be happening in the way that they were. Even, even like, I still think 14 would be a very successful game purely on the merit of its own quality. It's, it's a super good game, right? And it has that name recognition. But it's also, I think, without a doubt, WoW's faltering only helped it. Also this week, uh, Cyberpa- Cyberpunk 2077 Patch 1.5 released, finally bringing the uh, next-gen update uh, as well as a whole lot of other stuff in there. The patch notes are gigantic. They've, you've got to reallocate your skill points. Uh, you can brew coffee now. You can buy apartments. Uh, there's a lot going on there. Also, uh, it did not boot. <laughs> after the new patch was applied, so they have to patch the patch for me. Oh. I have to turn off services, audio services. There's a conflict on PC. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe next week. Oh, <laughs> it's so God. funny. Uh, That's great. Speaking of uh, CD Projekt Red, a uh, new studio named Rebel Wolves, started by former Witcher 3 and Cyberpunk devs, uh, working on a AAA dark fantasy RPG on Unreal Engine 5. A dark fantasy RPG? Yeah. There aren't a lot of those. (laughs) Good call. (laughs) Uh, They do say a lot of things like taking care of each other in their (laughs) announcements. So I was like, what's what's been going on? Uh, Um, Nacon has acquired uh, Datalik Entertainment for 53 million euros. Uh, They also bought the... uh, Developers of Edge of Eternity uh, a couple weeks ago too, so they're, they're what going an interesting pickup. Yeah, uh, you're on not Game al- Pass by the way, Edge of Eternity. Sorry. Yeah, you're not allowed to uh, talk about Switch Sports Beta. <laughs> Anyone with a Switch Online membership can sign up, <laughs> but you can't share screenshots or anything. This this is so naive that it's like endearing. Like I can't even be <laughs> mad at it. Where that's like. That's like putting a jar of cookies in front of a kid and being like, I'm going to leave the room, but don't eat a cookie. Like, are you are you kidding me? You're going to give everyone access to it. And you're like, don't say anything. Don't talk about I, it. I, yeah, I hope some big streamer just starts streaming and doesn't care. Of course it's, people are going to yeah, stream it's it. Gonna be streamed, like, <laughs> of like, course they like, are. What are you talking and about? And what are you going to do 
I know. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. What are they going to do? Well, you do have to use your account to sign up. So, like, oh, we're going to ban your Nintendo yeah, account. Yeah. Would <laughs> like, they really? For, I doubt for it. streaming a game that everybody has access to for free? Are you insane? Uh, Lego's making a tall neck for Horizon uh, Forbidden West. So, oh, that's we, actually cool. Maybe cool. we get Brandon on a gun yeah. instruction. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. I got some movie stuff. Netflix is working on a live action Bioshock film. Who knows? I could go up or down. Yeah. Uh, huh. Third Sonic film and a live action series coming to Paramount Plus. Uh, love the joke. Someone said, so Sega announced Sonic 3 and Knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good joke. Yeah, I that's saw a, a few people joke. on Twitter make that. I was like, you yeah, guys are cheap. You're smart. <laughs> uh, the Uncharted movie audiobook is narrated by Nolan North. That feels insulting, right? <laughs> right. It's so weird. That feels insulting. <laughs> Uh, the Mario Kart 8 DLC has been confirmed uh, to work uh, without buying it. You can play that with other people online. Uh, so, yeah, as long as one person owns it, you can play on those tracks. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, apparently Skull and Bones is going to come out before April 2023, according to Ubisoft's financial oh. briefing. Oh, really? <laughs> sure. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well said. All right, let's play a game. I don't know what to do. I was not prepared. There's the light. I did not expect this coming from you, Daniel. <laughs> uh, from uh, these are submitted from our patrons. Uh, this is from Anthony Zaylor. Uh, quick, easy one. Uh, well, maybe not easy, but a quick one. Uh, how many playable characters? So here's the idea. So not how many people playing at a time, but how many playable characters are in the game. So like. Easy example is like Mario Brothers got Mario and Luigi two characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These okay. go higher the further we go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and, oh, and I'm gonna keep score. So oh, whoever gets closest is gonna get the point and fastest. Uh, Golden Axe. Four. Three. Uh, it's four. Three. Oh, it's three. Shit, it's oh, it three. is three. I was like, it's probably three. <laughs> oh my god, no! I should. I love Golden Axe. I should know that one. Yeah. That one. That Warrior, one. Warrior, dwarf, and lady. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. But I only ever play the dwarf. But yeah, it's it's blue warrior, red warrior, lady, and then green dwarf. I only ever yeah. played the lady. Yeah. Super Mario Brothers two, four. Yep. Yeah. Got it. <sighs> yep. X Men Arcade. Six. six. Yeah, it's six. Isla, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shit. Sonic Heroes. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. There's teams. No, it's it's teams of three. I want to say uh, this is a shot in the dark. Nine. Ily, have a guess. Seven? Ben, it's 12. Nice. Nice. Okay. Street Fighter Two Turbo. Oh, God. 16. 16? Oh, I was going to say 16, too. 14? 13. 12, 15. You already put your guesses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how this game works. Oh, damn it. I, uh, yeah, I know what it is. Ben is taking a long time to consider. 18. You're you're all gonna get a point. It's seventeen. Seven, it's between. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. Then yeah. that was good. That was a good guess. Uh, this one should be easy to work out if you know. But F Zero X. Oh God. Uh, Thirty six. Oh God. Twenty two. I don't know anything about this game. In F Zero X, are there multiple racers per car? No. Okay. Oh, there might be one. I don't. Well, think there's one that has two that. characters <laughs> in it, but I don't know if they count that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they did. Uh, there's a lot. Say of cars. This. We'll say cars. 
Cars, okay. There's definitely a lot. 30. Yep, on the nose. Nice. It's 30. too high. Uh, 30, 30 cars going at 60 frames per second on the N64. Heck yeah. Genshin Impact as of February 16th. <laughs> 45. Oh, 65. Um, there's a lot. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 40. 49. Okay. Ooh. So you had 45. That was a good one. gets it. Yeah. Uh, this is a good game. Marvel versus Capcom 2 New Age of Heroes. 60. There's a lot. I don't know if it's quite 60. 52. I'm going to say 54. Ben's got it. 56. Ooh. <laughs> I can't believe this. I didn't know this. Naruto Shippuden Ultimate Ninja Storm 4. 77. 65. 80? Isla. 106. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. Way off there. All right. All right. Uh, we're crazy. Uh, Dota 2. Oh, God. 146. 160? No. You skipped Sukkotan, 108? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's, that one's Kinda. <laughs> I don't think Dota has 100 heroes. They all go up, though, it so has it has to, go, to be, it more, has than to be more than 100. Naruto, yeah. Lol is like what? 275 or something. Are there, are there really more than 100 characters in Dota 2? 110. Things Damiani is the closest. 122. But what did you say? 146. Something. No, I think Ben is yeah. close. I don't man, know yeah. what I said. There well, are 122 like one... heroes in Dota 2? According to, to Anthony. I'm in disbelief. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final one is League of Legends. 275. Yeah, uh, yeah like two, 200. Raw 200. Two, Might be 230. It is 158. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been. Ben at the lowest. Ben at the lowest. I have the highest, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> ben won that six points. Woo. All right. It's time for love and respect. Good game. Who did that? Anthony. Get, uh, Shout out, Anthony. Yeah. Anthony Zayler. Good job. Love and respect. What a weird little toy that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. From uh, Rahul Masal. Hi, allies. With Elden Ring about to come out, my <laughs> friends and I are very excited Woo! to sit and watch my other friend who's actually good play Elden Ring. Awesome. Woo! What are your best memories watching someone else play a game? Oh. Uh... Damn. <laughs> One I, time I was sick and I watched, <laughs> I didn't have a Switch and I had no plans on buying a Switch and I sat and I watched Omar play Breath of the Wild for seven straight hours and then I was like, I'm buying a Switch. <laughs> so that was fun. I think, uh, yeah, one of the things, it was just, it was interesting and fun to watch uh, my wife really get into Medal of Honor Frontline. <laughs> Whoa. And, nice. you know, and having trouble at that, you know, with trying to do twin stick controls, you know, moving and moving the camera at the same time. And and she basically, like, just approached the whole game like she was a sniper. And so just stayed back, lined up the shots, shot at the right time, one picking them off one at a time. And eventually, like, gold starred that whole game. Fun. That's awesome. 
This isn't technically really watching somebody play, but I'm going to say it anyway. I was going to say, like, speedrunning and fighting game tournaments, but that's not a very interesting answer. My wife is really big into Animal Crossing New Horizons, mm. and she loves taking, like, genuinely hilarious photos. And so when I boot up Animal Crossing and I boot up the photo album, I'll see, like, oh, she's posing in, like, a hot dog outfit in a field of flowers or something. And so <laughs> I, I enjoy... I know that's kind of not exactly what the question was, but it makes me smile. I'm trying to remember the name of the game. Uh, everyone used to play After Hours at Game Trailers, the versus game, the not Joust-like game. Was, was it not Samurai Gun? What was it? Oh, Nidhogg. Uh, Nidhogg. Oh, yeah, yeah, Nidhogg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was going all over the place. Like, Money Puzzle? No, 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 no. no, no, like, no trials? No. 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 <laughs> no Money Puzzle is probably n- n- number two. Watching people that arcade cabinet right there <laughs> playing Money Puzzle Exchange was uh, just... Wow, people are way better at puzzle games than I'll ever be. From James Davey, uh, back in 2017, Horizon Zero Dawn released three days before Breath of the Wild. Horizon Zero Dawn was 2017? Mm-hmm. What is time? I don't know. Uh, the consensus goatee of that year. Now in 2022, Forbidden West is coming out a week before Elden Ring, mm-hmm. a game that many people believe will be a goatee this year. Do you think Gorilla at all should set their release dates differently so that their games won't become overshadowed and are able to stand on their own? No. Um, I, I like this question, though, and I think it's a, it's a good framing, but the, the fact of the matter is, I think to the average consumer, Goaty doesn't matter. Like, Goaty, like right. the people that get upset about Goaty, they're very passionate, and there's a good number of them, but I think when you compare that to the average PlayStation user, they, they don't care. Um, and I think Horizon's sales indicate that. It doesn't yeah. matter that it yeah. won Game of the Year. That game is gigantic. Like, Horizon Zero Dawn sold very, very well. And so I, I think in terms of, like, broad sales, no, no. But I think it's something that it's a very, it's a game-by-game thing, right? Because, like, you're saying, like, Horizon is a very strong brand. Like, the first game sold really well, but not mm-hmm. only that, but it's, like, it's very identifiable, right? Like, right. you have robot dinosaurs, like, it's pretty appealing to a wide audience. And and yeah. to be fair, like it's one of those games along with like an Uncharted or a Last of Us that I think yeah. Sony really wrapped their brand around. I mean yeah. you would anytime like you would have a PlayStation thing, you know, you'd probably see Aloy somewhere in some promotional right. capacity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas like I think like I'd still shake my head that like Grid Legends is coming out the same day as Elden Ring. I'm just like, well, why? Yeah, so that that is <laughs> yeah. a different thing yeah. where I don't, yeah, <laughs> exactly, because it doesn't have the... The and Gran Turismo is like a couple weeks after. Right. It's just like, well, why? Yeah. I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, no, that, that's, EA, a that's a different... why? That's a different Especially when there's like a long lead time and you're just like, there's nothing you can do to just change your release date to get out of the way but of But the thing, thing is, is those things were already on the calendar when they decided to announce their date. Yeah, but so mo- it's like, movies do yeah. this yeah, yeah. more and more. They, like, try and make room for each other because it's just, like, it's not good for a game or movie or any kind of, like, medium to, like, have an entry that suffers because of poor release timing. If there's something you can do about it. Yeah, I mean, maybe just back in the like in the past, it was a scarier proposition because of the money involved. Like you have, you, we always talk about when a game's delayed. Like, oh, it's funny when you go to the fast food place, they have like those Halo cups, even though it's like delayed or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, marketing requires a lot of lead time. So, but at the same time, you launch next to something like an Elden Ring, and you're kind of like a small fry. No one's going to really notice you whatsoever. Whereas you have like a, a like 
a window of a week where no, nothing big's releasing in the middle of like, you know, summer, you're probably going to do better. But it does feel more and more like those windows are getting smaller and smaller and fewer and fewer. Like there's right. so many games coming out that. Well, that's. Yeah. That's what I wanted to bring up is I think it is logical to be like, oh, man, these two big titans are releasing so close to each other. Is that bad? I get why you would think that. I do. But I also think that. We are moving at an ever-increasing speed in terms of how quickly the conversation changes yeah. and how quickly people get through things. Like, it's it's moving faster than ever. And so while, you know, when you think about it, you're like, oh, man, these things are only a week apart. I think in the gaming world with how fast it moves, that's actually plenty of time for Horizon. <laughs> Yeah, well, not plenty of time for most people to finish it. But yeah, I think, not, not I think enough it, but... for it to be out ahead. Like, it's better, I think, for Horizon to be out ahead yes. of Elden Ring than for it to be the week after. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, but I also think with the amount of games that you're talking about, that, you know, the the bar on indie games has been raised to the point that it is, it's in the, they're in those conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, there's not this big separation. It's like, yeah, sure, there's like, Smaller things like, you know, like in Fernax, people have been talking about that, you know, maybe more of a flash in the pan as the flavor of the week kind of thing. But there's so many games like Sifu that, like, we're going to be talking about that game at the end of the year. Yeah. You know, for sure. Um, I think the other thing to keep in mind with the, the Breath of the Wild and Horizon Zero Dawn comparison is it wasn't – Horizon wasn't just going against – a new Zelda game, but it was also the launch of a new Nintendo console, yeah. right? And that uh, 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 the launch of a new Nintendo console, regardless of how you feel about Nintendo, is going to to dominate conversation. For sure. Uh, from Andy Schreiner, uh, with Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven dropping a big patch to address many of its issues, uh, would it be fair to go back and re-review or possibly amend previous reviews? I don't believe this is something that has generally been done before. But with games that go on to make huge comebacks such as this or No Man's Sky, uh, Fallout 76, etc., should critics go back and change their minds to reflect the current state of the product? Um, I, yeah. I don't think you go back and you change your score, your original review. I don't really agree with that stance. What I think is more effective is putting out something brand new. Uh, I see a lot of people do this, and I like this approach is how is XX game or whatever in this year? So, like, how is Cyberpunk in 2022? And be like, there's a new patch that just dropped. You might have seen it get a lot of bad reviews back when it launched or whatever. Even our review was, like, very negative And say, but now it's actually good. Like, you, you get, it's just a new way to have the conversation. I don't think... You would have to change the way reviews work. That's like a larger conversation. I don't even know if it's even worth it to like even invest in that. Like it, it is a whole other like argument to maybe be made about like what where, where reviews like need to go. But I think it's more worthwhile to just have a newer conversation and brand it as a new conversation, and you tag it as like how's this game now, right. and like that will people will be like more drawn. It's like less threatening too. Whereas like you go back and change a review, I like score and reevaluate it. It opens up a whole bunch of can of worms, I feel like, and it also just leads to a lot of like arguing and like it leads to more negativity than positivity, I feel like, by, by doing that. You're trying to rectify something because the game is updated, but then people are like, I, I don't know, it, like, it leads to these like tangential discussions, which aren't what the point of why you were trying to do it. Like this approach feels way more, I don't know, like, like way more agreeable to me. Um, I think, like, ideologically, I get where this person is coming from. Unfortunately, from a practical perspective, I just don't think it's feasible because 
you know, we're we're seven people and not all of us review games. And as we just discussed, there are so many games coming out so close together that I think from also from our perspective, right, we have to gauge audience interest. And I think there's going to be a much bigger interest in us putting time into a brand new release game than going and revisiting a game that we've already talked about right. at length, you know. And I think the numbers would more or less... Um, bear that out because, you know, it wouldn't just be a simple conversation. It's like, okay, I would really want to like sit down and put time into this thing. And so, you know, that's, that's a big resource that you're, you're yeah. allocating to something. Well, I think the other thing too, that's really difficult with this. Well, number one is, you know, if you think of like Metacritic, which is where I think a lot of people like, or looking and say like, Oh, get the meta score back up or whatever to be accurate, you know, to what you're going to play today, but they're not going to do that. Like that's just against their policies that, you know, be, to avoid, you know, things happening to where like people will like, well, you better put your score up so we get our Metacritic, you know, that kind of like threatening kind of thing to happen. Um, you know, just sort of like a safeguard that they have. It's like, well, once you put that score down, that's it. Uh, but the, uh, but I think the other thing too with the difficulty with something like a patch is like you can't play the patch until it's patched. And so when people want to know that review, when they know if it's better, they want it right now. <laughs> so right. you can get like a quick reaction of somebody like checking out the things that are in the patch notes and sort of seeing. But chances are, you know, in the two, two and a half weeks it takes you to get through a solid chunk of cyberpunk people have already moved on from mm-hmm. from that release um, and i think too if you the other thing that's really difficult for me as well is like if i've already played that game trying to go back and play it again and put a new score on it considering what has changed it's like it's a super difficult thing because you're not experiencing it for the first time yeah i i think not being fresh with it does make it yeah difficult as well because even for me yeah. like booting that thing up and driving around is like i i guess it's better i'd have to like really like put some time in to see those things and like just like bugs happening well now they're not happening so i'm just like not bothered by that stuff as much yeah yeah it's it's very tricky because you know it you also have to your audience has certain expectations of you right and i think that that is that is very important and so it's like okay well we're going to re-review this game and then it's like well why don't you re-review this or this or this right and it's, or it's like and then what is our threshold for re-reviewing something how big does a patch need to be right and so it just it just yeah, create been patching and patching and patching so this right. is like one on top of the past right. year right and so it just it just like i'm not saying that that shouldn't happen, but that's kind of not why I think the proliferation of all these different and specialized YouTube channels is important, right? Where I don't think that approach fits Easy Allies, but if there are channels out there that are like, okay, one of my main focuses is coverage of cyberpunk and news on cyberpunk, right? Like that information will be out there and, and easily accessible, right? And so there are so many YouTube channels that, that like hyper-focus on a, on a specific thing, and I think you could get that information there even if we're not going to be the best source of it. Yeah. All right. It's time for bets. Fun games. Mm-hmm. Good games, everybody. This week's bet, uh, it's going to be next week, will be the eve of Elden Ring. We are going to go through the top 10 critic reviews on Open Critic. 
How many times will we see any form of the word punish? So punishing, punishment, punished, all of that. I counted Sekiro. It was in there 15 times. Uh, Michael Damiani. 50. 50. 5-0. Ben. 17. I initially guessed 13, but then I changed it. Isla. 12. Elden Ring's easier than Sekiro. Mm. I went 13. Oh. So, yeah, you got the low, though. All right, last week, Total War Warhammer 3 launched on PC this week. Yeah, like Uh, today, I think. Yeah. Uh, So today, where will Warhammer lie on Google Trends? (laughs) So the last seven days worldwide, uh, Brad bet 100, and this is weird because like 100 is the top, and it like it's just relative. So 100 is the best that you can do. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Huber bet 55, Isla bet 92, I bet 71, and Jones bet 89. So let's give this a whole refresh. Um, oh, I need worldwide, so we gotta change that. Worldwide. It is currently at 54. Ooh, Huber almost Huber exactly. almost nailed that. Wow. All right. I'll highlight this for later. Okay. So that brings the scores to uh, Massive Chubbs to Splish. <laughs> oh, and Melodorous Sea Lions to... Uh, let me tell you about <laughs> patreon.com slash easy allies. Uh, that's where you uh, can go uh, to find out about us, but also to support us. Uh, everything that we do, including this podcast, uh, is uh, because of our fan support. Uh, basically, uh, rather than charging you $5 at the door, um, you can come in and you can pay what you want and whatever you, you feel like is a good value for you to keep Easy Allies going for our reviews and all our podcasts and our shows and everything. Uh, and so we have different uh, reward levels and stuff. So at the $1 tier, you can get some exclusives and you can get in polls and things like that. And then we got $5 where you can submit for love and respect and uh, get early access to other shows and all kinds of other things in there. There's fan mail, there's Q&A, all that stuff. Uh, and at the very top is our shout-outs here. And uh, those people are giving us $250 a month. Thank you very much. And they get a shout-out on this podcast. So, shout-out to Caleb, Togi Crawford, El Thanis, Greg the Dark Knight Kettering, Nick, and El Thanis, and Raymond Wheeler III. Shout-out! Shout-out! <laughs> All right, so since Huber won and you were on last week, right? No, neither one of you were on last week. Ooh. I was not on last week. Nope. It was Ooh. Brad and Huber. Who was in that seat? I think Damiani was in the Huber seat. Go for it. Yeah, so you get to uh, promote any Easy Allies video you want to promote, get the final word on anything you've disagreed with, want to reiterate, or just popped in your head, and you get to sign off with your trademark sign-off. All right. I'm looking at our most recent videos, and I see at the top, Welcome to Jurassic Park Huber Syndrome with that's a Dawn. Good that's a good so choice. that's Dawn in his wheelhouse right there, so you should absolutely check that out. Um, something I disagreed or final word I want to say. 
Um, you know what? Elden Ring. May the way to the... <laughs> Couldn't even get my trademark <laughs> sign off right. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. <laughs>